From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Eric Ward. Have you watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I have. Yes. Yes. I, I am familiar. It's uh it's about an epic quest that spans generations. If you go back to the Hobbit, I include the the sure. Hobbit, so that's you know, four. Uh and and this epic saga with our guest is going to last at least four interviews. <laughs> You know, so I think this is a Tolkien saga adventure we're setting out on, and we don't even know as we're recording this if the quest has been completed. We we will not know. Only the viewer, the listener, will know. Um, as you know, my favorite movies of all time are The Godfather, right? And Godfather one and two are each about three hour movies, mm-hmm. and Francis Ford Coppola sold a version of Godfather 1 and 2 to NBC in the early 80s to air on broadcast national television. And he put them together in chronological order, and he referred to that as Godfather the Saga. Mm, mm. This interview that we're doing, as your wife so aptly said, is a saga. So we hope everybody sticks with it because it is worth it. I mean... There are gems throughout. He is funny. He is insightful. He's honest. Reflective. Very reflective and, and vulnerable in a way that I think very few people are. And and he's in a position now where we're we're you know, he's got a highly visible job and he doesn't have to be as as open and vulnerable as he was with us. And so we do appreciate that. And I think that the only re- reason we're able to do a saga like this is because we are Powered by Beeks. <laughs> Did you see me close my eyes? <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, see yeah, no. I've really because I've I've done a little bit of 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 chanting, <laughs> or, or or while I'm doing like like yoga or trying to meditate, uh-huh. like having a, a singular tone like that, and it worked. Really, I recommend the listeners wind that back and just close their eyes when you got low and you hit the one tone. It was it was very uh, zen like. That was impressive. Well, we're we're here to provide a service, Ward. So whatever that may be. Um... You know, we're we're knee deep in an Indiana basketball season. Um, by the time this one airs, we will have played our last, let's just call it cupcake game of the year. Um, Wait, that's assuming we get this done on Monday and it's airing the, the coming Tuesday. Well, this has to air Tuesday. Well, we have one other option, but that would, I mean, we'll see who's available on Monday. Oh, right, right, right. Well, this should air. This should air. Let's Tuesday. hope so. Um, but you know, we're knee deep in the season. Uh, we missed out on a big recruit and I think everybody is looking at two things now, 
How good can we be this year? Are we good? Are we going to take the next step, make it to the tournament? And also, what is next? Like, how do we fill the hole of missing on this recruit? What's 2021 looking like? And there's only one place to go for all that information, pigs.com. So here we are, but I think we just get to the – I mean, we, we shouldn't talk any longer yeah, this saga. This has already gone on too long considering <laughs> what's in store. We have to leave the Shire. You know, it's going to take a long time to get to Mordor. Yes, it is. Well, let's let the Eye of Sauron uh, guide us. Jesus, what are we doing? <laughs> that is just brutal. We apologize for all those references. Uh, let's just get to it. Hysterics. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Hysterics Nation. I was looking forward to this one, but even in the conversation we've already had with this man, clearly this is <laughs> going to be a really good time. This is one that the fans have been telling us you need to get. In fact, somebody tweeted out that if we were able to get this gentleman, it would be, quote, epic. So a huh. lot of pressure for this gentleman to live up to. We are talking to a graduate of Clarkston High School out of Clarkston, Michigan, where he played for his father on the basketball team and was also a star quarterback. But in basketball, he was a McDonald's High School All-American, Parade All-American. He was named Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan 1998. A uh, little-known fact, the runner-up that year was future NFL Pro Bowl tight end, maybe the best tight end ever, Antonio Gates, whose path crosses with this gentleman repeatedly, repeatedly yes. and, and in a big way later on. He was the 2001-2002 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, the best defensive player that I have ever seen at Indiana, no doubt. Wow. He is, the la he is part of a team that was the last team at Indiana to make it to the national title game and the Final Four. He is a Big Ten champion. He was 2002 All-NCAA all Tournament team. His senior year, he shot 47.8% from the three-point line, which for an Indiana fan might as well be 100% over the last couple of years. So we'll take Sheesh. it. Please welcome <laughs> the current assistant coach at Michigan State. We'll get into that later, too. Please welcome Hoosier great, Dane Fife. Do you guys have those clap gizmos that – you can kind of shake back and forth, and it sounds like a clapper. No, no, nope. no. Those, those cost are, too much money. Those are our hands. Yeah, we go full it, hand. It's low budget here. <laughs> in you know what's funny is uh, one of my good friends from, well, we're, well, he's from Hartford City, Indiana, but lives in Bloomington now, but his last name's Clapper. And so really good Twitter Twitter handle, although he's I've been on him lately because he's not real positive about our alma mater, which I don't appreciate. But his last name's Crap Crapper Clapper. <laughs> Actually, we've been known to call him Crapper, which is another name for the commode. Yes. Yes. Um, but when when I ever, whenever I talk to him, I get the clapper out, and I'm not talking about the gadget that you clap and a light comes on. It's the actual clapper that you shake. Yeah, those are good. Those are old school. Those oh, are old school. Right. Right. Quite old school. B but with the last. Our last coach, also known as the Clapper. That's was true. there some confusion there at all? That's true. Our last coach was known as the Clapper. And I would say our last coach, more annoying than the manual uh, device thing that we're talking about. Uh, but we don't have to get into that right now. Um, by the way, I just have to ask, you've probably had many conversations with Clapper while he was on the Crapper. I mean, that's... Well, there's been a few. Yeah. There hasn't been a lot lately. You know, I'm a grown-up now, so I would deem that highly inappropriate. Yeah, but... I don't believe that. I don't believe there were that. certainly some 
uh, undergrad days where that probably happened. Dane, have you ever been told that you sound like somewhere between Jack Nicholson and Christian Slater? Oh, I love it. Slater. My favorite Slater movie is probably when he was uh, Robin Hood's little brother. That's probably (laughs) most of the listening listening audience. And then the movie Cuffs. Nicholson, not not a big fan other than the the movie he was in with with Coach Knight, uh, Anger Management, Adam Sandler. Sure, sure, sure. Yes. What about True Romance as far as great Slater movies? This is my interview voice, you know. Oh, okay, okay, it works. It's my working. coaching voice is deeper. My regular voice is really high. <laughs> but, but by the way, Dane, I love you. Are still no matter where you coach, you're still a Hoosier because you referred to the movie that Jack Nicholson was in, one of the greatest actors of all time. You said the movie he mm-hmm. was in with Bob Knight. Like <laughs> that's right. Like, <laughs> like I know she, I'm talking to some Hollywood bigwigs here. Yeah, you guys right. probably take offense to that, but no, we like it. We like yeah. it. Yeah. So, Coach, let's talk. How are things going right now for you? You're about to start uh, another season. What year is this now for you at Michigan State? This year nine. I've been here nine years uh, working under Coach Izzo. Uh, I'm, in fact, I'm going into my ninth year, ninth season, yeah. And how does it feel? Are you, uh, are you happy with how the team's looking? Are you excited for the season? You are preseason number one in the country. Got to be a special amount of pressure that comes with that. Well, I think this is a first in school history. We've opened up number one in the country, at least under Coach Izzo. And, um, you know, it's great on the front end as we will be able to look back. But the the stress it adds, the pressure it adds, um, I don't know, we can look at it as positive. But also uh, we always have to worry because our, our team and our young guys, they don't quite understand what it means to be number one in the country. And if you look at our roster or you see our team, uh, the eye test, you know, when you look at our team in an airport, it's hard to understand why we are number one in the country. Mm. We have great players, but I think where people expect us to be, at least on the front end, where they expect us to be elite is a great team. And so you only have a great team if, if everybody's clicking and everybody's meshed, meshing well together. And we're not there yet. I can tell you that. We're not there yet. Well, isn't it something with Coach Izzo's teams, and, and I guess we can say your teams now too over the last nine years, uh, out of the gate usually a little bit slower than people are anticipating, but always by the time the tournament hits, you guys are ready to go. Is that is that somewhat by design? Is there something that you guys do early on as far as like letting the team learn lessons early on so by the time the tournament hits, you're clicking on all cylinders? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the, th- the things that Coach Izzo and Coach Knight have in common is their teams generally were the more disciplined teams and it takes time. It takes time to get your, your, the, the team, as I said, as I mentioned, meshing together, playing together, playing, uh, as a unit, you know, it's, it's probably something that coach Knight learned from, you know, his, his military background or his, his great understanding of military. And I think, um, you know, coach Izzo, uh, took a page out of the book, and I think the teams that are the, the best teams that I've seen are the ones that are the most disciplined. Uh, and in rare circumstances, you might just have a, a team 
a group of kids like the Fab Five or the year Kentucky won with Anthony Davis that it's just superior athleticism and talent. But all in all, it just doesn't happen that much where you don't have the best team. Uh, and I'm talking a uh, team that, that works well together. Uh, aside from the size and talent, usually you don't have, the uh, uh, other than rare circumstances, the, the best team is, is winning the championship. So let's take a step back because we like to go through the whole history of how you uh, became so tied into Indiana basketball. Let's go back to your upbringing. When did you first find the game of basketball? I mean, you were an athlete that was playing multiple sports, but what was it that brought you to basketball? Well, as, as you guys mentioned in that incredible introduction, <laughs> it, I'd been going to the gym with my dad who was coaching uh, high school since I was out of the womb and uh, we had access to a gym every day and it wasn't a day that my mom wasn't handing me over to my dad because I was driving my mom nuts <laughs> and getting me to the gym and it started as maybe a couple shots on the rim and then running and loading up with some candy but um, you know I was just always around it and a fa my family my dad played basketball at Michigan was on the bench for the 1976 national championship game he was on the Michigan bench it's so just a two two older brothers that played the game and just was around it constantly and big Michigan big Michigan family and we spent a lot of times going to Michigan games basketball and football especially you know, Jim Harbaugh the current Michigan coach right now I can remember waiting in line when the players walked out of the tunnel and me going and stalking Jim Harbaugh to get his autograph hmm. And so we just grew up big Michigan fans. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the the, um, the love for basketball and, and football and baseball were, were um, you know, for most kids, that's what it was back then, back in the early to mid-80s. You know, all three sports were pretty good. Did you have a preference? I mean, obviously, you were very good at, at all the sports, but especially football and basketball. When you were younger, did you have a preference for which one you enjoyed more? You know what? I, I actually, and I still to this day, love football is probably my, my favorite sport to play. Hmm. And I think just the physicality of it. Um, I was a quarterback, and I just love to scheme and backyard football. There's nothing better. I just, uh, it was just always the, the, my favorite game to play. I was probably best at baseball because I was slow and <laughs> not incredibly athletic and, you know, could didn't have to be – too athletic to play uh, first base, I didn't think. And, and I didn't mind the idea of being a DH. And, uh, yeah. It's a good life. It's <laughs> yeah. a good provided life. Provided I get, get in the, uh, the American League back in those days. My, <laughs> yeah. I was probably best at collecting uh, baseball cards. That was probably my uh, what I was best at. Were you, you know, a... supposed to go after what you're best at and collecting baseball <laughs> cards is well, the market, good the market got oversaturated, yeah, it and up. it all just went to hell. Were you a Tigers fan? I was a Tigers fan, for sure. Uh, I, I, you know, they won it in 84. They were pretty good in 87. Um, I was a Twins fan, too, because my dad played for the Twins, and he was good friends with uh, Tom Kelly, who was uh, part of the Twins organization. Oh, yeah. Long and then I was a White Sox fan. He managed it there, and Jim Leland was a buddy of my dad's, and he was with the Pirates and the Tigers. Just got a very, very uh, exciting childhood, for yeah. sure. Got to meet Barry Bonds, Cal Ripken, all those guys. So sports was just my life. 
That's what it was. Was it very competitive uh, with you know, like your older brother and your dad and all that? Was there was there just always a sense of competition about like who was gonna get the last scoop of mashed potatoes? Was it that kind of household? My oldest brother Dugan, I love I love these opportunities to throw him under the bus. But he was six years older than me, and then there was one in between Jeremy, who was we're all three years apart. But Dugan was just brutal to us, especially me. So. <laughs> There, there's some screws loose. There's some screws missing with me, I can admit. Uh, so there, it was it was a constant competition, constant, uh, I guess we call it bullying. It was picking on, making fun of, calling names, um, you know, uh, putting soap and anything you can think of on my toothbrush in the rare instance when I brushed my teeth. <laughs> um, scaring us at night, you know, just locking me in the the basketball cage at the high school when my dad was coaching, they'd lock me in the cage and I'd be there for hours trying to get out of the cage. Just... <laughs> so if anybody uh, wonders why I've got the, the issues that I have, I've got a pretty good pulse on it if anybody wants to, <laughs> wants to listen to it. Yeah, you don't really need to go to any therapy session. You seem to have diagnosed the uh, origin pretty good here. Well, that's right. And and anytime Coach Izzo asks me what's the matter with me, he knows that, uh, well, he knows not to ask that question because I'll go in deep. And uh, an hour later, he'll say, what the hell are you, what, what the hell are you talking about? Um, I was asking about a ball screen. Yeah. I wasn't asking really what, I didn't really want to know why you are the way you are. Yeah, I didn't really want to get into the Freudian beginnings of your, uh, yeah, that's right. your yeah. mental state. Uh, I always find it fascinating when you watch uh, basketball players. You know, everybody plays with a certain style. Obviously, mm -hmm. teams have a style, but players have a style. Some are finesse, some are speed guys, some are uh, guys that avoid contact, some are guys that seek it out. And then there's the style of basketball that you played, which, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, which I have to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's why you are so beloved in the IU fan base, because you play a style of basketball that everyone admires. You wouldn't take crap from anybody. You went after the best player on the other team. You were matched up against them more often than not. Uh, you were intense as hell. You looked like you hated everybody that you played against. And you wanted to win not every game. You wanted to win every play, every possession. Where did that kind of style, balls-to-the-wall uh, attitude develop when when did you become that as a player well i'm going to bore you with this incredibly uh in, in uh inspiring story here <laughs> when i was in the sixth grade i was at a camp and it was saint mary's basketball camp it's an overnight camp and i was playing uh it was sixth through ninth grade so i was the youngest player and i thought gosh you know what I really like to win the mvp but i'm probably not going to win the mvp so so i wanted an award and so i went I said I went I went for the hustle award. And it was there that I kind of figured out, you know what? I can play this little game within the game and and in in trying to win the hustle award, which is sprinting back on defense, just doing silly going after every rebound, playing like a maniac. Uh I was I discovered that there was so much that that could be done just by playing hard and not really doing anything uh, you know, not really scoring, you know, I was probably scoring at 10 points or so, but this was during a basketball camp. And so 
uh, I ended up winning the hustle award and I, and I realized that there was so much more to the game than just, than just scoring. And you could get a lot done just by simply outworking somebody out thinking somebody. And so when I got to college, um, I remember uh, first five or six games, I was decent. We ended up almost getting beat by Indiana State. And uh, I remember Coach Knight saying, Fife, a little louder. He said, he said <laughs> you know what, you're shooting from the three-point line. And I looked, I had no idea. And I didn't. I knew it wasn't good, but I said no. He goes, 29%. He goes, you think that's good? And I said, not really, Coach. He goes, well, if that's the case, then I suggest you start becoming a better passer, <laughs> better screener. And, uh, yeah, I laughed just like you guys, but <laughs> I tell you what, I became a hell of a screener. Yeah, you did. Uh, and, and passer. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a good setup guy, but I was the pass to the guy that made the next pass, you know, the hockey assist, The right? hockey assist, yeah, right. sure. And, and so um, – I wanted to play, and I just wasn't very confident on offense. Hmm. But I wanted to play, and so I just kind of thought, all right, the way I looked at it is you look at me, not real physically imposing, not very handsome. Uh, I said, I'm going to take this this not physically imposing and not very handsome and turn it into um, I want my opponent to think that I'm nuts. <laughs> and so part of it, you know, like Draymond Green, their dream on green for I'd say over half the NBA players, the, the position that he's going against the game within the game, it's over before it even starts for Draymond, his matchup, because the guy is psyched out by the persona and the image that Draymond projects. And you guys understand that, you know how to do all that in your world, right? Yeah, sure. The acting world. If it's your stage, the basketball part was my stage, and I had to. Uh, I wanted my opponent to think that I was nuts, and it was going to be hell every time they had to go against me before the game ever started. Damn. So I was playing mind games. Didn't shake their hand before the game, and might say something to them silly. Uh, might tug on their shorts, you know, first possession, grab their arm, hold them. I felt like if I could get them thinking more about me. And, and making it a one-on-one -on -one match, then I'd win most of them. Now, the few that I lost, those guys ended up being pros, but I always I noticed that because of the mental toughness that certain guys had that weren't they didn't get caught up in my games and my antics. Right. But um, that was my niche, and it was my niche. It was my – I'm not in nature. I'm not a very tough kid, tough man, tough person. Um, physically, I don't like – physical pain my, my nine-year-old bullies me um, my six-year-old told me I couldn't read the other day and I didn't take that very well uh, I didn't speak to her for three days um, but you know it's uh, it's just the game within the game and it's it's not really cheating I don't deem it cheating I don't deem it dirty uh, there's tricks of the trade that in every business, every sport, every realm exist. And I just, I think I became a master in the tricks of the trade and uh, wasn't everybody's favorite player, but I think I ultimately, I think people appreciated how bad I wanted to win and how hard I played the game. And 
you know, the, the teammate that I was. You know, there were, there were a lot of fights. There were a lot of fights in practice. I remember Jeff Newton swinging on me. I was surprised that he couldn't fight. We didn't ever squared off, but I just felt him coming up behind me, and he had free free reign to just deck me, and he kept missing. <laughs> and it's like, Newt, you got to work on that. Before you work on playing hard, let's work on punching. Remember, my first, my first ever, right when I arrived on campus, I set a screen on Will Gladness, and next thing I know, he squared off trying to punch me. Thank God uh, a couple guys stepped in. Um, I remember getting in a square off with the leprechaun, Michael Lewis. (laughs) What's funny about that fight is uh, we we squared off and we walked towards each other. And Lewis can tell you what happened. I'll take the responsibility for it. But Wrecker comes and grabs me. And meanwhile, nobody grabs Lewis. And Lewis... Pops me right in the lip, puts my puts my lip all over my face. Wow! And, uh, never had a chance to get him back, but I think he's paying for it now. He's paying for it now. <laughs> Put a curse on him. It's called Our- the missing hair curse. <laughs> Did Eric punch you in the all face right, too? All right, all right, yes. all right. Yes. Yes. Well, I I gotta say, it was always said with affection with folks we've talked to, like uh, like a coach Davis, especially Jared Jeffries, an early interview we did of your uh, your certain brand of insanity that was yeah. was they they spoke of it again affectionately. But I'm fascinated that this is something you cultivated, you embraced, you used to your advantage, and I'm just wondering how much of it is is real going back to your older brother locking you in a cage and and and, and how much of it is uh the persona that you uh embellished to to have an advantage do you yourself know how much of the crazy is real and how much of it is a uh, a tactic that's a great point and i think you know i know you you um you folks in hollywood understand i'm i'm i at certain points you know when i actor actress is prepping for a movie they've got to get in character and that's what i had to do that's what i did and i think some of it stuck um i'm not sure who the hell i am anymore (laughs) but uh, (laughs) you're a a true method actor where am i lost yourself in the you're like daniel day lewis all the way lost yourself in the character (laughs) or 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 tom hanks in forrest gump is what i was thinking i like that i can do that i could Uh, do that no but i think uh you know i think that the world that I've grown up in it's, you know, it's part of it's, it has its, uh, the, the sports and entertainment world. I mean, it's just been what I've done my whole life. And, um, it's, we live in a bubble as you guys out there do. And there's a certain, uh, part of, of, you know, the masculinity of, of those three sports I mentioned, um, you know, that, I think there's a certain maturity level that maybe we, we stun our growth a little bit, but, um, I do think that, um, you know, the type of the, the aura, the, the, um, the type of rep reputation I gained, um, as a byproduct, I think a lot of the Indiana people or basketball fans or sports fans could, could identify with because, I think it was clear to see that I wasn't the best athlete. Um, 
the most talented, the, the most handsome. But I was living proof that the average ugly, unathletic man could could get some stuff done in the world. All right, so that is true. But I, we got to stop you see for a Eric. second. Yeah, yeah. See, Eric. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Sorry, buddy. This is just brutal. All right, so listen. I played basketball through high school in St. Louis, and I mm-hmm. um, had the same attitude that you did, as far as like I. I definitely had no athletic ability. So I was going to draw charges. I was going to be emotional. I was going to be a little crazy. The one move that I used to love, and I can't remember who did it first that I saw, but I always loved guarding the guy. Like when the other team is shooting a free throw and the the guard goes back to like have a conversation with the coach, you know, mm-hmm. I loved going with him to that meeting with the coach. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good move. Everybody hates that move. But here's my yeah. point, Dane. I'm not going to let you be self-deprecating this much because you were also one hell of a skilled basketball player. You do not become a McDonald's High School All-American and a Parade All-American by just coming up with this great attitude and busting your ass. You had real <laughs> talent, and you were recruited by all the big names. What was it like for you? I mean, obviously, you saw it with your brother, Dugan. He had gone through the recruiting. He went to Michigan. What was that just like for you getting recruited by various schools? Well, and, and, and how did you whittle it down to basketball? Was it, was it just because you were excelling beyond football and baseball in a way that was undeniable? And, th- and, then, and then it became a battle between the top programs to get you? You know, it's it's funny when you talk about that stuff because I think sometimes I do forget um, <laughs> that that Dean Smith was in my living room having a conversation with me on several occasions. Yeah, um, yeah. Dean Smith's not going to your house, and Bobby Knight's not going to recruit you just because you're a crazy person. You're a hell of a, a basketball point. player. So, what yeah. is that like? What was it like? Well, it, it was it was fascinating to get to know all these different personalities. And the thing I just kept waiting for because it was thrown in our faces all the time is who's gonna when's somebody gonna offer me a car? When's somebody <laughs> gonna offer me some? Money? And it it never happened. But um, you know, I remember uh, you know Nick Saban. Nick Saban came to watch me in basketball practice. He was with Michigan State at the time. Um, Coach Izzo, Coach Crean came to watch a football practice. He was with Michigan State at the time. Um, you know, Tubby Smith was at Kentucky. Coach K. Um, gosh, he, he, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Coach K, you know, was was in tears. I think he'd lost his mom, but he's in tears when he got to talking about her um, and, and uh, circled back to why I was important to, to Duke basketball. And, you know, Coach Izzo was, was unbelievable, and he was just getting started as a head coach. Um, well, I, I had to stop playing baseball in eighth grade because of AAU basketball. And the reason why I didn't play football was when I, I committed to Indiana and then Coach Knight came maybe a couple weeks later. And I said, Coach, I'm planning on signing in the spring. Because if you signed in the fall, you didn't get to play football immediately the following year. And I said, I plan on following, you know, signing in the spring so I have the option of playing football. And he got quiet, and it's just myself and my dad sitting there in my dad's office at the high school. And 
Coach Knight got up and he had his famous khaki pants with an elastic waistband, <laughs> a nice collared shirt, uh, collar messed up, pretty standard. But um, he stood up and he pulled his pant leg up and said, give me that GD chair. So we slid the chair over to him and he said, you see this leg? He said, yep. He said, that's the leg of a football player. He said, look at your legs. You're scrawny. He said, <laughs> he said, if you come to Indiana, you're coming to play basketball. And I looked at him and I said, okay. <laughs> it's a deal, coach. <laughs> wow. And uh, so that's not necessarily the reason why I didn't play football, but I just felt like I was I was pretty skinny and I wasn't very fast. Um and I think where I made my hay in football was scrambling and throwing and throwing on the run. And you know, I got to Indiana and had the, the honor and the privilege to watch Randall L., Antoine Randall L. play quarterback. And yeah. if you're a scramble QB, you better be fast. And uh, I just didn't think it'd be the right thing to do for my body. I probably wouldn't be sitting here today if I'd, I'd played football. And so... That's really why I decided to play basketball. Well, um, but I think to answer, you know, I, I was a McDonald's All-American, and I believed I earned it. I believe I earned it. I think where where I was, I think the reason is I was so well coached uh, in high school, and uh, just and worked harder than everybody else. That's the truth. You know, when I was on the court, I, I don't think I really, really lived the game, loved the game, but I loved to compete. Um, I didn't particularly handle pressure great. You know, I was kind of in the middle of the road pressure-wise. I think if I, you know, uh, however you process pressure, I don't think I was considered one of the elite. And uh, I didn't spend a ton of time working on my game hmm. because I had other things that I wanted to do, wanted to do like, you know, go to Knicks. Um, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. go to go to, go to to sports and uh, – you know, just hang out with the guys. I just, you know, the, the priorities. If you want to be the the best at at your craft, and you guys know this, you gotta you gotta live it. Especially for somebody that doesn't possess the measurables, like wasn't six ten. I didn't have a forty five inch vertical, and I ran a five nine forty. <laughs> and so, there's the self deprecating part. But that's the truth when you're looking at playing against guys like Vince Carter or Allen Iverson or. Um, you know, just Ray Allen, just guys that, that are just have that elite talent or that elite mindset I just didn't have. So when I got to college, the other players, you know, the athleticism, the size, the the coaching, uh, it just caught up to me. So I had to find a way to survive. And I, and I do think, you know, if circumstances were different, I probably could have played in the NBA. I really do. I, I just think, you know, I, I needed to be with the right team. And I tried out for the Houston Rockets. I needed to be, you know, with the right, you know, the, the right roster. And I would have had a chance. So I just uh, had a great opportunity to be a GA at Indiana. So I took it at the age of 23 after playing in the CBA for a year up in Gary. 
Yep. All right. Well, hold, you can't skip. You skipped over your entire Indiana career, so we've got to go That's back. It. Well, That's I'm it. done. <laughs> How did Coach Knight win that battle when you had Dean Smith and and Coach K and anybody else who was anybody wanting you to come play for their team? And and you're a Michigan guy. Your 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 older brother, your dad were Michigan guys. Michigan State was right there. How did Coach Knight win the day? It's it's awesome stuff to me, and it's really what my dream was and my dream was to win a state championship for for my dad and then go play for coach Knight. I don't, I don't know that I thought about the NBA that much. I wanted to play basketball in Indiana and how it happened was my dad coached with Bill Frieder as an assistant at Michigan. And then when my dad decided to stop college coaching, um, he was still good friends with Bill Frieder. And so when Michigan, I think it was Steve Alford's junior year when Michigan beat Indiana it was at Michigan to win the Big Ten Championship. Roy Tarpley, Gary Grant, mm. uh, Bill Frieder, and I've told this story many times, but uh, Bill Frieder sent my dad the tape, and it was a VHS tape, and it was the first. We just had gotten a – in fact, we went out and bought our first – V. Uh, what do you call it, VHR? VCR. VHR. VCR. VCR. Yeah. Yeah, the VCR. It was our first one. And uh, didn't even have a remote control. So I was up there fast forward and rewinding by hand. Okay. And so it was the first VHS tape that I'd ever watched. And I do believe it was Billy Packer and Brent Musburger that were calling the game. And Michigan must have won by 30. I mean, mm-hmm. they just killed Indiana. And the thing that stood out to me was how these coaches, these, these two announcers spoke about Coach Knight. And it, he was such a polarizing figure. And it reminded me a lot of my dad when he was coaching. And I just, I loved it. I loved the discipline. I loved, um, I loved the way that his teams worked. And even though they got killed, I, I must have watched that game 500 times, just bits and pieces of it. But after school in the morning, I'd turn it on, wit, listen, and, uh, so it just started with a you know a fascination for Indiana basketball right then and there as a, as a five or six year old maybe seven, um, and then they win the national championship and maybe Hoosiers comes out before or after that the movie Hoosiers and yeah. man I was I was hooked and so nobody you know when when I was recruited by all these incredible coaches Izzo Steve Fisher had just come off the Fab Five. Um, like I said, Coach K, um, Coach Knight, uh, nobody could nobody could really overcome, you know that that childhood dream. In spite of them having Luke Recker, um, AJ Guyton, yeah, and just the the uh, a guy by the name of Dennis Michael Lewis, um, <laughs> the, le- the Leprechaun. Are you speaking of the, the Leprechaun? leprechaun yeah, okay. the Leprechaun. That's right. <laughs> And so it's just hard for anybody to overcome. And, and uh, I think in the end, you know, I would constantly find reasons to stay close to home or, you know, Shane Battier was a good friend of mine and he was at Duke and, you know, go play with my friend. Um, but it just kept circling back to, to what I always wanted to do, and that was to be part of, of Indiana basketball and play for Coach Knight. So you, like many of us, grew up 
in some ways, idolizing Coach Knight. I mean, you see him, you're following him, you you recognize this kind of larger than life figure. What's the first time you remember meeting Coach Knight, and what was that first encounter like for you? <laughs> well, I was actually at Nike camp. Um, Dugan, my older brother, my my oldest brother, we were at Nike camp in Indianapolis, and uh, what I remember was um, I remember meeting, uh, getting Jason Kidd, same year as Jason Kidd. I remember getting Jay Kidd's autograph, and then I remember um, getting Coach Knight's autograph, and he was very gracious. Um, you know, I had to the first time I saw him, he was picking his nose or scratching his nose. Um, so I had to tiptoe up there. Um, I was pretty nervous, but he was very gracious. And I told him I was going to play for him someday. And, um, once again, very gracious and gosh, how old was I? I must've been, I might've been in sixth grade or so, but, um, it was, he was, he was great. And then what about the first time when he's recruiting you? Did he come? Did he do an in-home in your house? Well, Dan Dockett saw me at, in Cincinnati during my sophomore year, in the spring of my sophomore year. It might have been the spring of my freshman year. But he saw me at University of Cincinnati and AAU in the spring. And um, we happened to be – Bloomington happened to be on the way to going to see my grandparents. My grandparents lived in southern Illinois down by Carbondale, so we stopped um, on our way to go see them in the summer, in the early summer, so we stopped in Bloomington, and uh, I think it was sophomore year, and Coach Knight offered me then, and it was quick, and it, but it was just, you know, it was, it was everything and more. I mean, I just, I, I just uh, saw a lot of my dad and in coach night and I wanted to be a part of, of that style of coaching. Cause I felt like that made me my best. So you get down there as a freshman and you mentioned the names of, of, uh, Luke Recker, AJ Guyton, uh, Dennis, Michael Lewis. Uh, but also in your class, you've got Kirk Haston, uh, Jared Odell, and that, that Antoine Randall L guy who is super athletic. Um, were you at all unsure uh, of your place on this team, did you did you feel like you had to prove to yourself that you belonged on the court with this level of talent, or did you know from day one you could carve out a niche? Well, you know, it's funny. I saw it when when I got to campus, saw the saw all the players. I didn't know who Jared Odo was. I wondered who this muscle head walking up to me was. <laughs> this guy keeps talking to me. Who is he? And I figured out who he was because I had met the recruits. I, right. uh, Kyle Hornsby was in my class and I'd met Horny, Horny one time. And, um, you know, I get on campus. I got Lewis, Luke Jimenez. Um, I really liked AJ Guyton. Uh, thought record was cocky, but I liked him a lot. And uh, he was my roommate. Kyle Hornsby was my roommate my freshman year, and Luke. And I uh, got to be pretty close with those two. Um, Hornsby being from Anacoka, Louisiana, so that was that was a unique experience <laughs> getting to know somebody from from down there. And nonetheless, a, just a brilliant human being. Um, but I, I, I guess, long story short, when I got there, I thought, gosh, these guys look exactly like me. There's no doubt I can play with. <laughs> Uh, 
you know, I played against Wrecker. Uh, Lewis, as right. mentioned, looked like a little leprechaun, and um, so I thought, you know, I can handle him. And but but on my official visit, I just you know, it was, it was perfect. I just, I really clicked with the, with the players. I spent a lot of time with AJ Guyton, um, on my official visit and really enjoyed him. Um, it was just, you know, it was my dream to play there and, and, uh, I clicked well with, with the team. So, um, it was, it was just an easy decision and a place that I felt I could come in and play right away. Did they haze you at all? The upperclassmen? Does that, did that go on? Was there hazing? I think Mike Lewis had come over and maybe used the restroom. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I believe maybe, uh, they would, uh, steal our food, but there wasn't too much of a hazing other than, than, uh, carrying the, the unloading the seniors bag or unloading the bags from, um, you know, the plane and moving them to the bus probably got to eat last, but, um, all in all, I think it was, it was, there, there wasn't too much hazing. I think the, the adjustment to, to learning to play for someone like coach Knight, the discipline you had to have, that was enough for anybody, any freshman for sure. What were those first practices like for you? Did it just, did you realize, oh, this is a different level of basketball now or different level of discipline? Yeah, I did. You know, it, all those practices, you know, everybody always wants to know what it was like. It was like when you're, when you're, you're in a trance and it, everybody talks about how much, you know, that when they talk positively about coach Knight, that's one of the, the benefits is you learn to concentrate. You learn to focus, you learn to do your job at all costs and under pressure situations. And so whatever your job may be, you know, those are the things that that we can carry with us. And and so if you did it and you bought into what Coach Knight was really trying to teach you, and that's the discipline of the things that you can control, then then you succeeded and you didn't complain. And as much as I could probably find to complain about Coach Knight, I know what his method was and I know why he's trying to do it. His objective was to create a winner. And he had to deal with each player with the talent they were given. And he had to bring some players along and, and lay off certain players. But he wasn't going to sacrifice, you know, what, what he believed in. And that was, you know, pretty simple. You play the game in the right way. You play as a team. You play hard and, and uh, you prepare. And so um, the first couple practices, uh, I played hard, so, you know, it was a struggle probably for the older guys that, you know, they 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 maybe didn't understand that this cat that was with them was different, but I think the one thing I, 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 uh, I lacked was really the, the understanding of, you know, the game at that level and, and how my game didn't really translate to that level because I wasn't beating guys off the dribble. We didn't run ball screens, so I didn't really have an advantage. And I wasn't great at reading a down screen or a flare screen. I sure could screen, though. Kirk Haston, you've never given me credit for getting, getting you wide open shots in the 16th <laughs> pick in the NBA. <laughs> I took a lot of elbows to these teeth and nose for him. 
Lurch. Uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's Representative Lurch now, right? Isn't that's it? right. He's in politics. Let's give him his. They call it Congressman Haston. That's right. <laughs> or as Mike Davis will say, Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> what funny. is it about head coaches and pr- they can't pronounce their own players' names? Coach Izzo calls Draymond Green Draymond. That's M O N T. And that's his favorite player besides uh, Mateen. That's great. Draymond. Draymond. I, I tell Green. Draymond. I tell Draymond all the coach. Draymond. <laughs> it's head coaches. It's like Coach Davis Hastings. That is so good. Kurt. Kurt. He not only screws up his first name, he screws up his last name. Um. I, I still think honestly, Coach Izzo thinks my name's Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't get too upset. No, you can't correct. My, that's my dad's name. It's yeah, an honor. Call me Dan. Him. He's the real coach Fife anyway. He knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about the team that you joined your freshman year is an interesting IU team under Coach Knight in that the seniors on that team, if I'm not mistaken, were just Rob Turner and William Gladness. Is that right? Yes. So most Indiana teams under Coach Knight you could almost count on there would be a senior there that was either the best player on the team or close to the best player on the team and the bona fide, unquestioned leader. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like you enter a team where the team definitely belongs more to Guyton and Wrecker from a scoring perspective. Lewis is the point guard. But it's interesting that you didn't really have, at least from the outside looking in, those seniors that seem to own the program. Or is that? Am I right. just wrong that that? Well, maybe I think did? I think that uh, they were two JUCO players, right? And so they didn't have a lot of equity. Um, and I think they were juke. They were transfers in because Indiana had lost um, Collier and uh, uh, Neil Reed consecutively. And so those guys were kind of filling those voids, and they were great guys. In fact, you know, Will passed away yeah. not too long ago from it's, it's, uh, but they were good guys and they did what they could. And, and Rob, I know I haven't heard, I haven't talked to Rob in a while, but um, those guys did, did what they could. Uh, but nonetheless, as you said, we were a relatively young team. Kirk Haston was coming off his redshirt year, and, um, you know, the rest of those guys were juniors, but, um, you know, they did, they did, they were counting on guys like myself and, and Haston and, and Horny to come in and, and play. And, and, um, that's a good team. It wasn't a great team. I think we underachieved. We didn't defend very well. And, uh, I think part of it could be that we were so, um, either small or inexperienced inside and, um, you know, we just we couldn't get the buy-in from everybody on the defensive end. That really, Coach Knight was. And it's underrated how much, how, how good that Coach Knight's teams were defensively. One one of the things you you mentioned in passing, and I and you you did say you liked him very much, was that Wrecker uh, was a bit cocky. Wrecker, for a variety of reasons, uh, is a controversial figure for Indiana fans, uh, obviously because he ended up transferring. But he was also on that team pretty much the most um, hyped, I would say. Uh, Guyton was clearly the the best scorer on the team, but Wrecker came in with the most uh, buzz. Did 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 he keep himself separate from the team? When you talk about buy-in defensively, 
it seemed like from the outside in that Wrecker was never a hundred percent in. Is that just me putting my own crap on on his career at Indiana, or is there some truth to that? Well, I think Luke was young. I mean, Luke was Luke was a sophomore when when I was a freshman, and you know his cockiness um, made him really good. It made him a good player. I don't think you know his cockiness was necessarily a bad thing. It's what made him good. Uh, Luke is a very good person, a very caring person, and um, I think Luke. Uh, I think Luke loved Indiana, and um, I think probably had he done it, had he had he gotten a chance to do it all over again, um, you know, he'd probably think about staying at Indiana. I'm not trying to answer for Luke. I know he loved Indiana. He loved it even when he left. But, um, you know, the buy-in is just a lot of things that kids kids go through. And I was going through my own stuff. The, you know, I can remember I didn't play a game my freshman year, and we actually won at Purdue, and I didn't play. It was the only time I never played. And my own dad, who, who knew the game and knew my strengths and weaknesses, was telling me to transfer. Mm, and so one, one of the things, and I said, dad, come to a practice and you'll see why I'm not playing. So I'm playing awful, my man, (laughs) you got to get out of here with that stuff. But sometimes, so, so I guess my point is that everybody's got people in their ear and it's tenfold, 10,000 fold these days with social media and the way that, um, kids are empowered now to speak on things that they really don't understand no kidding (laughs) and it's okay to speak on them but um i was the same way but the way that things are polarized now we got to be more careful that's a different that's a that's for a different time guys that's for segment nine (laughs) life's life lessons Um, so i guess my point back to luke is that luke left and um he was one of my best friends. He was. He was just, he was a great guy, is a great guy, a very caring. And um, I do think had he stayed, he he uh, he would have gotten better and he would have become what he wanted to be. Um, but uh, I don't think there was an ev- ever an issue of, of buy-in. It was just something that perhaps wasn't getting translated properly and it was just it. He was young. We were all young. I sure. mean, what what Luke had deficiently on the defensive end, you know, number eleven um, on Indiana, which was myself. Sorry, Randall L. I took your number, even though I know you had it the year before. Uh, I was struggling offense, so so the ineptness of maybe Luke's defense was, you know, not too far off from my ineptness offensively. And what when you're? I'm sorry. I just wanted to set the table a little bit for the era that you are going to be playing in, which is Jason Collier and Neil Reed had already left. Luke was going to leave as you're stepping into this team and this sort of end phase of coach Knight's career at Indiana university. Did you have any sense that there was an impending doom coming? Because even coach Knight is on record on saying, Oh, say he should have left seven years before he ended up getting fired because things had changed there with the school and the administration. Did you have any sense of that 
once you got there and were, were getting a feel for the program that, that, that there was trouble brewing? Or did you think it was just a part of normal turnover of college basketball? You know what? I thought it was a normal turnover. Uh, I didn't really. I, I'd spent time with Jason Collier on my official visit. Awesome guy. Jason Collier was a great guy. But, you know, kids make decisions and it's usually um, it's nothing personal. It's generally nothing personal. And kids make decisions all the time. You know, we're, well, if we have nine, if we have 10 recruits, we're going to get told no by nine of them right. typically. And so, and, it, and we, one of the things I learned is you can't take it personal. Um, and so I, I didn't pay any attention to the fact that, that Neil Reed made his decision to transfer uh, or Jason Collier. It felt like it was, you know, Jason Collier made it pretty clear that he wanted a different role in the offense. I respected that. I think Luke said the same thing. Um, but, it, you know, it was a coaching style that it that it took a unique individual to succeed. And I think I wanted to be pushed. I didn't mind being screamed at. In fact, I thought, gosh, I get to get screamed at by a Hall of Famer every day. <laughs> and and to characterize Coach Knight as a guy, I mean, we all see what, what what was on TV, and that was usually a fired up, gassed up, primed Coach Knight. But in practice, if if it wasn't a loss to Purdue on a on bad defense, or we weren't we were we played poorly in practice, he was very complimentary, very calm. He he loved to teach, he loved to joke. Um, he, now, he he loved to sit naked on his red lazy boy and bring people in and do game study with them, or up on the chalkboard or dry erase board. It, yeah, it was not the fairest thing to do. <laughs> um, it was, you know, you you kind of lose sight of uh, what you went in there for. But <laughs> I thought we we're going to draw something up. Uh, what 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 did Coach drop in there? For? Not sure, guys. <laughs> <laughs> not sure. Leary, um, Leary told us, we interviewed Leary, and he told us that the first time he encountered that was the first day of practice his sophomore year, and it was the meeting where Coach told him he was going to redshirt. Mm-hmm. And he comes in, mm-hmm. he tells me he's going to redshirt, and he said the weirdest part of it was not Coach Knight being naked. It was that Dakich and Felling were fully clothed sitting next to him. It's like, what uh, are those I, guys doing? Just sharing a, sharing a, um, a carryout um Bowl of chicken. Yeah, just, hey, Ron, Ron, pass the chicken, please. Um, there was always something. It was maybe a cup. I think he might have drank tea or Mr. Pibb or something. But there was always a Ted autographed Ted Williams baseball card right there on the, on the uh, I guess it would be an end table. Um, just fascinating stuff. You'd go in there. Uh, you know, again, you just kind of sit outside the door and just, wonder because because he's on a different intelligence plane than than the rest of us and uh just a unique case study for psychologists and psychiatrists alike um and maybe uh maybe a certain uh certain director uh but the the times when you you'd go in there it'd be just like the the times that uh you know, in practice where you just, when you finish practice and you're in the locker room and you, it's like you wake up from a dream. And it was simply that not to, not to sound like I'm in awe of Coach Knight, but I'm in awe of, 
how focused, how locked in I was. And, you know, for a, for a young kid, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. It's something you learn and, and you feel great about, but, um, I think for a, for a kid that self-diagnosed with, you know, all the, um, ADD, ADHD, um, you name it, uh, is pretty, pretty empowering in its own right to know that, man, you know, we're, we're in there working as a team and as a unit, and we all believe in this guy and what he's, you know, that if you can pay attention to what you're doing in the process, which most kids can't, including myself at that age, you see that there is a process. You'll learn that there is a process. And the man is not going out of his way to, um, to make you worse. Right. He's trying to make you better. And if you understand those methods, um, of course, nobody likes to get yelled at except for me because I was getting yelled <laughs> at by a Hall of Famer. Um, it's funny. That's what Brian Evans told us the same thing. He said that when he would get yelled at, he would just kind of people would say, can you, how can you deal with that? And Evans would just tell himself, Bobby Knight knows my name. <laughs> it's amazing. He would just keep well, telling they, himself that. Yeah. They couldn't tell Brian was embracing it because his cheeks were always rosy, no matter <laughs> what he was doing. I mean, he's his cheeks are rosy watching TV on the couch. Um, but, you know, it also took guys, speaking of Brian, it took guys like Brian Evans that came back and and helped helped young kids, young guys, sort through it all because because we're used to having so so much success and then you know uh in coach knight's own way he'd do what he had to do i mean it's coaching 101 he'd start with compliments and you know i'm going to ask you to play a little harder and then when you don't you might get a little firmer with your voice and then the third or fourth time it's just like parenting and, and that's the whole thing it's what would you do if your kid didn't do something for the third straight time you know if you asked him three times for your kid to to uh, to brush their teeth before they go to bed, what do you do? Do you issue threats? Do you spank? Some people spank. Some people issue threats. No dessert. Or do you ask them nicer? <laughs> or do you take candy away, which my, I wish my parents would have done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then I wouldn't have uh, – I'm well on my way to having no teeth here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> um- Dane, I'm I'm curious though because you mentioned real quickly that sometimes it took guys like Evans to come back. You're you're from Michigan. You didn't grow up in Indiana, but you clearly had a respect for what Indiana basketball was because of your, you know, growing up in the world of basketball and your dad being a coach. But when you got to Indiana, did you feel the history of it? Were you exposed to former players? Did they come around? Were you able to connect to the history of Indiana early on? You know, one thing that always bothered me, and I don't know that it was anything that just could have been circumstantial. We did have a golf outing for alumni, but I didn't really get a chance. I wasn't exposed to a lot of former players. You know, Kitchell, Laskowski, Mm -hmm. Damon Bailey, um, Cal Chaney was pro ball. Brian came back, Matt Nover, Harris Muyazinovich. But, you know, I think I'd I'd seen Quinn Buckner quite a bit. Uh, Scott May would come around, but I, Isaiah came and practice with us once. Um, I just didn't feel the connection, and, and part of it's probably my fault. Um, I didn't feel the connection uh, as much, and um, I see what we have going here 
at Michigan State. And, you know, it's one thing we tried to do with, with Coach Crean back at Indiana, and I was an assistant here, is really get the former players back because, I, you know, the, the, the wind, the push that the former players can, big and small, that, that can bring to the, uh, to the program is, it's, is very powerful. You know, whether, you know, if um, Cassius Winston has a bad game or doesn't play well or doesn't play hard or whatever it may be, they're going to get it. He's going to get a pick-me-up call from Magic Johnson or Draymond Green or some of the Spartans of the past. And, you know, we have three different reunions here, and that's something that, you know, I wish I could have been there for a, for a Yogi Ferrell or, a you know, Christian Watford or, you know, you name it, and it's yeah. all, And I think that Coach Crean started all the um, started getting guys back, and I know Archie's carried on the tradition of of what Coach Crean really got started. And Scott Dolson um, have, has done a great job. He's associate AD. I hope I'm getting his title right. Sorry, yeah, no, Scotty. You got it. Um, I think it might be. Yeah, I think it is associate athletic director. But the thing about it is, you know, Quinn Buckner came back. Scott May came back. Is is coming back now, and that's one thing that we've got to keep going. Is you know, it's like an extra coach, and it's probably the most car- powerful coach, other than you know, current teammates. For a player, is when a Quinn Buckner makes a phone call. They don't care about me, but uh, when a Mike Lewis makes a phone call, you know, it's a second all time assist right he's, he's second all time and assists there fellas you know mike lewis comes back that's a big deal and he came back and and uh the great sean klein comes back and visits all of his uh cellmates uh, <laughs> uh, jeff newton george leach jared jeffries his family still i think is right there in yeah. town and so yeah, we needed it's, some of those. It's like having, we needed some of those huh? former players to call Gary Harris back in 2012. That's what we needed. Yep, that could have helped. That would have helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Gary, Gary. Uh, let's see what was going on with Gary. Oh, I could tell you what's uh, going on with Gary. Kareem didn't get him. That's what's going on with Gary. Man, you guys are ruthless. Yeah, man. <laughs> that one hurt. That one hurt. Cream loaded up the still does loaded up that recruiting class with a bunch of guys who turned out to be nothing and let uh, Gary kind of drift in the wind. He turned out okay. It's it's going well for Gary. Gary was a good player, no question. Yeah, I saw Gary the other player. day. Yeah, that must be nice for you. Um, so, uh, but but I actually I, I'm glad you talked about that because I think sometimes as fans. We hear about why it's important or we talk about it's important to include the history of the institution in the program. But you're actually saying, like, it has very real meaning to getting the new players to come. That is that is very important. And the truth is, over the last 20 years at Indiana, it has not always well, been an important thing for the, uh, for the staff that was there. So I'm glad that, that, that you're kind of giving voice to why it's so important. Well, I think it's more than the last 20 years. I think it's gone on for a long time. And I, I'm chastising myself when I say it. I take responsibility on my own for not being as plugged in as, and, and we all have lives, you know, we do. Wait, are you allowed to be now? Like, can you actively support the Indiana program in any way? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't, I don't, um, I try to come back when I can for, for, for the fall or summer reunion when they have one. Um, no question. I mean, that's, that's my school. That's, that was still my dream. And I still owe 
the school and the program a lot. And there's still a lot of people there that, um, you know, had a big influence, um, including Nick's English Hut. And um, <laughs> yeah, you got Tim Garl, yeah, uh, still sure. the trainer there. Larry Rink still on the bench. Brad Bamba isn't on the bench anymore, but, you know, he's still there. The f- people in the athletic department, the football program. There's a lot of good people there and a lot of people that um, went through the transition of, of uh, different coaches having to follow a legend and the firing of Coach Knight. And, you know, in a weird way, the, the firing of Coach Knight um, brought a lot of us closer together. And, you know, it, it, uh, it, it uh, is one of the main reasons why we did so well, I think, um, I guess, in the rest of my career. And um, I think there's, you know, a lot to be celebrated. And I think that uh, Bloomington is not an easy place to get to. You know, there's no direct flights. You know, no this direct. isn't Hollywood, boy. <laughs> no, this it's isn't not. L.A. <laughs> it's not L.A. We don't have nine airports. <laughs> you know? No, it's um, a nice trek down, what is it, 67? Well, it's a lot easier to fly 67. into. 67. Yeah. Uh, 37. 37. What's, what is it? 37. Harding Street, right? Yeah, well, that's right. That's the exit. 69. Now, yeah, 69. It's a lot, but it's just not an easy place to get to. And, um, you know, it's, it's Scott Dolson and. Fred Glass and Archie, they're all trying to get this more, um, you know, former player friendly and they're doing yes. a great job at it, but it's, it is a process process. We like to use that word, but it, it's a, it's something that you have to build and you've got to get people buying in and, um, you know, it really starts with somebody just taking the time in the former player group to just really get it organized. And I told Scott Dolson for half a million dollars, I'd do it. I would be the guy. <laughs> I'd quit what I'm doing, and uh, I'd be the, the guy. You would be the man. Half a mil. I'm in. That's it. It's actually, and I'd be honest with you, it actually seems like a reasonable ask for how important the, uh, when you think about what the return on investment could be. Yeah. I mean, that's, you should that's put right. together a PowerPoint. You could really make yep. this happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just cultivating, and I could spill into maybe uh, – some of the Olympic sports and a little bit of football. Yeah. Well, uh, but it just cultivating the former players and it's the I men's group and Tom Bowyard was pretty good at it. But, um, you know, I've got plenty of, plenty of fresh ideas that I've, I've learned <laughs> around the circuit to break, to rally the troops. All right. Well, let's get into your sophomore year at Indiana. If you're good on time, do you need to get going? Nope. I'm bad. Let's get into me getting the hell off the phone. Okay. Let's go. We'll do that. You guys are awesome. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do part two. I got. I'm gonna text you to set up part two. I, I did want to ask yep. one thing about freshman year. Did you get a taste uh, prior to getting to Bloomington, or what? Did you really have to be there as a freshman to understand? what the Kentucky rivalry was, what the Purdue rivalry was, because you did lose to Kentucky in one of your first yeah. games as a Hoosier. Was that, was that a, a brutal wake up call? Uh, you know what? Um, I, I felt, I always, it's hard for me to embrace the Purdue rivalry because I loved Gene Katie as well. Nobody's perfect. And, <laughs> that's right. And so I just love the shelf. I mean, that hairdo. Oh, it is <laughs> impressive. Oh, it was yeah. beautiful. It was a thing of art. I, I had a <laughs> friend of mine's dad growing up that I'd flip over the um, the comb over. I'd love to flip it over and oh, yeah, feel the bulge fun. spot. He, he was a cop too. Uh, I just so so. Gene Katie brought me back to my young days, young childhood. But the Kentucky rivalry was 
to me, I learned very early. I watched them lose the year before. Um, and I remember that was the one. I, I remember I watched the, the Purdue game, too, at Indiana. I think it was Valentine's Day uh, massacre. Uh, but the Kentucky rivalry for me was – because Kentucky was one at all. And so that's really where it was – you know, at the forefront of my mind, that rivalry. Do you uh, do you remember what happened my freshman year? No, tell us. Well, somebody hit a three in overtime to to put it to overtime, and then they got beat by twenty. But who was that person? Was that oh. Dane Fife? Shot faked Wayne Turner. Nice. So, oh shit! It, the play was supposed to go to Hastings. No, <laughs> Hastings. Maybe Guyton. I said, "What the hell?" He threw the ball and I go, oh shit. So I shot faked. I think I was wide open too. And I shot faked and Wayne Turner went for it. And I took a sidestep, winked at Ashley Judd and bam, <laughs> OT we go. Oh, that and is I, so and then Mike Lewis slapped me in the head so hard on the back of the head that I was useless in overtime. <laughs> the leprechaun again. Yes. Hey, it was, uh, it wasn't a precursor because I think he punched me in the lip before that. So um, it was a postscript. But by the way, yeah, it was one. Uh, we're going to let you go, but one thing we're going to get to in a little bit here when we talk about your the the title run team. When yeah. you go down that roster and look at what guys have done since leaving Indiana, it is one of the most successful group of guys that you can find. In I mean, Jared Jeffries has his own fishing show for crying out loud. <laughs> You seen that boat? He's got a gorgeous boat. That is that is a boat now. All right. Dave. I wonder what horsepower that motor has. Well, you know, Jared told us that he's going to take us out fishing on it. Still waiting for the invite because he he wants to just laugh at us trying to wrestle like a three hundred pound salmon. Oh man! So we're going to do it. We're going to three hundred pound salmon. Yeah, wow. they're crazy. All right, Jane, I'm going to text you so we can set up part two. Um, and hey, combine let's it. go old school. Page me. <laughs> so we could send beep you a me. fax. I'm going to beep you. Fax me. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Uh, Dane, thanks so much for doing this, man. It's so much fun. I hope you're enjoying it, too. I love it. I, lo I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> you're too self-deprecating, though, man. You, you don't I give know, yourself credit. I know. It's kind of fake, credit. isn't it? Yeah, Sounds man. phony. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, you know, growing up in this thing, having been told you think you're, uh, you think you're awesome, you think you're amazing, you learn to try to counter it by... I get it. Telling people, hey, I loved you played at IU. I'm surprised you recognize me. I've grown two chins. You know. <laughs> Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? All right. So uh, we finished talking about your freshman year. Uh, before we move on to uh, your sophomore year and the rest of your esteemed career at Indiana, Yikes. to our listeners out there, they're going to think that this is all just one contiguous conversation, but it isn't. This is part two done, I don't know, a couple weeks after we did part one. We're showing them how the sausage is made. That's right. And, and I want to because I want to read a text that Dane sent to me as we were um, trying to set up part two of this. Here is what Dane said to me. This was sent on October 23rd. Out of nowhere, Dane texts, I have about two and a half hours right now if you two dorks want to find a garage to broadcast out of. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot to break down there. One, we'll own it. We're dorks. We got it. Mm -hmm. Two, my favorite thing to break down is that Dane somehow thinks 
that Ward and I are just waiting. <laughs> like, just nothing else in our lives are happening at all. We're just, when is Dane going to text? <laughs> and and the second he does, let's throw up the dork signal in the sky and go find a garage. It's a big, yes. giant IU insignia. <laughs> yep. That's right. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't uh, think it was... I figured the way you guys saw it, this was the interview you had to get finished, and I'm just part of the Indiana basketball lore that you had to finish so you could move on to Sage Steel. <laughs> and that's that was the reason for the, the insult. It was a good insult, was, man. I respect the insult. I loved it. I felt upset that like you guys were ready to move on from me and move <laughs> and go to Sage, which you know I can't blame you, but I wasn't done yet. It was still my time. That's right. We're on your <laughs> clock. You know? uh, well, let's um, before we uh, jump headfirst into sophomore year and uh, the interesting things that then happened at Indiana University during your tenure, I do want to ask you to just kind of set the stage for us on not just Coach Knight, who we covered a little bit, but your the assistant coaches who ended up playing a very major role in the rest of your time at Indiana. The assistant coaches when you got to Indiana were Mike Davis, John Traylor, and Pat Knight, correct? Correct, yeah. Walk us through your relationship uh, and what you uh, thought of kind of each one of those guys. Well, I think I said earlier that Dan Dockich was the one that really discovered me or right. my... Uh, I don't know what talent he found, but he did discover it. He knew I talked about my love for Indiana basketball, so it was kind of an easy decision for him to find me and recruit me. You know, talent aside, at the pedigree, my brother was starting at Michigan and all those things. So um, initially, Dockage recruited me, and then Dockage left for Bowling Green, and Craig Hartman took over. And then by the end of it, um, I remember getting a call probably during my senior year, springtime, and Coach Knight had said, Craig Hartman's no longer with us. He, ta- he took a job with somewhere, maybe Australia or something. I can't remember what he said, but he said, I've hired a new assistant. His name's Patrick Knight. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Coach, don't. I didn't say this. Fine. I thought, don't play dumb with me, big guy. I know that's your son. And I know who he is. But Pat had been coaching with Trelor and Coach Davis, who I think was a player coach at the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. But Yes, no, you're right. He was. In a CBA, I think it was somewhere in Iowa, but those three got to know each other and they put the band back together, so to speak, with serving now under Coach Knight at Indiana. So I didn't know Pat, but I was excited because obviously I knew of Pat. I knew he played at Indiana, and I knew that even though Coach Knight was trying to avoid the the obvious, that Pat was his son. He was trying. He was worried that I might report nepotism or something. But um, <laughs> so I was delighted. Uh, I think, you know, developed a really good relationship with all three of those guys. You know, Pat was obviously, um, I think he might have been 26 or 7. Um, so he was closest to us in age. But, um, you know, Coach Davis had 
still could play a little bit. Um, and Coach Trelor was, was was kind of the, the bench coach and the well-respected bench coach that was maybe the older assistant. And he really wasn't that old. He might have been 45. It's all relative, isn't it? That's Pro- right. Probably back then we thought that was real old. Right yeah, now? I mean, no, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at Eric and he definitely doesn't look 45. <laughs> Or 43 or whatever you are. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'd 24. I'd 20 years at least. Oh, I, you're right. I'd take away 20 years. <laughs> right, exactly. Set it on. Uh, Dane, I'm curious. You know, sometimes uh, we've talked to some players who talk about how the assistant coaches are at times the ones that they form really close relationships with because you've got the head coach who's the head guy and he's got – you know, what he needs to do. And obviously with Coach Knight, this larger-than-life figure, I would think that the assistant coaches are where kind of really close bonds get formed. Was it hard to form or to trust Coach Pat Knight in a way that you would a typical assistant because were you worried that, like, he's going to go tell his dad? Like, I can't be totally honest with him? Did that ever figure in? You know, that was that was figured out really early. Um, it wasn't that Pat would say anything disparaging towards Coach Knight. It was just we felt like, or I felt like, Pat was very honest in how to deal with Coach Knight, mm. um, what what to expect, and you know he would use some some coach speak with with things. Hey, you just gotta sometimes you just gotta ignore him. You gotta right. go play. And I don't think he was saying ignore him from the standpoint that just let it go one ear and out the other. But, you know, it was a standard line for Coach Knight is you can't focus on obviously how he's saying it, but what he's saying it at times. Right. And so I knew right then, okay, I got Pat if I want him, you know. So, sure. you know, I, I can – so I think that trust and, – and Pat's a really, really good coach. And – He's got an incredible eye for talent, and he and he put in a lot of work as all those guys did. So that was easy to get, uh, you know, for Pat to earn our trust. I felt. And what was your relationship with Coach Davis at this point in your career, your first couple of years? You know, Coach Davis, um, he was probably. You know, he put in the most time really talking with the players. Mm-hmm. And um, trying to relate to them, trying to help them sort through some of the things. And and so I, I spent a, I spent a lot of time with them. And, you know, when you're when you're believe it or not, you know, we are just kids for the most part. Our maturity levels are no different than yours is now. <laughs> um, no, but uh, no different than the regular student. And, you know, we want the same things that that any other student you know, wants, but we're in this bubble. So we really don't we, – we've got friends, but we don't really have real close relationships. So the assistant coaches are critical. Right. And so, you know, with Coach Davis, you talked or, – or any of the assistants – you talk to them about everything, and generally, even when you're mad at the head coach, who always takes the brunt of, of most players' anger, and 
you know, I think they, it's, it's a parent away from home more or less. And so I spent a lot of time with coach Davis. Um, and then, you know, each, each assistant had their role. Right. And, you know, like I said, Pat and coach Davis were, were the younger guys that, that really spent a lot of time with the players and, and coach Trelor was more of a, um, the bench coach that, that, you know, the, the guy that was, was kind of the second in command. So he's, he, he played a lot of bad cop too at times, even though he's as kind as probably the most kind, gentle people I've ever known. So now let's jump into, I, did I, you have another I, question about? Well, before we get into the real season itself, I want to talk about some of the other guys who just showed up. Sure. By the name of George Leach, Jeff Newton, and Tom Coverdale. What What's it like trying to get these yahoos integrated into IU basketball? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Newton from Atlanta. Leach, um, Charlotte, although I got a feeling he's not technically probably from Charlotte. Uh, he's probably more of a, a outskirts of Charlotte. Right. Uh, maybe his mailing address is <laughs> George, George was a finesse guy when he got to Indiana. You know, Newton was was tough, but he was also finessed by virtue of weighing 100 pounds. <laughs> Six foot 11, 100 of, 105 soaking wet. Yeah, and then here comes Coverdale. And to be honest with you, I, I knew Tom. I didn't know him well. I liked Tom. Um, but your first meeting with Tom, the probably was 19 because he went to prep school for right. a year out of high school. You, my first meeting with Tom is, and his, he probably had the same impression of me. How is this guy playing <laughs> Division One, <laughs> much less high major Division One for for a you know what what is trying to be formed as a championship team? I mean, you know, Tom had his his Noblesville accent. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say shaggy haircut, but it was definitely not combed that morning. Um, you know, just a regular guy. You know, when you got the first time I got on the floor with Coverdale, I knew we had something pretty special, and that was the ultimate competitor, a guy that really just wants to win, and he's one of us. You could tell that right away, Dane, when you saw him yeah. on the court? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, be, just his demeanor and how he competes, absolutely. You know, I felt like George Leach at that point was there because and playing because he was tall. Um, and I'll give George a lot of credit. You know, he came to a, he and Newton both came to a situation where you're in a different, you know, part of the country, which means really a different vibe. It's colder. It's, there's a lot of different things. And, and, uh, those guys, you know, George, uh, pretty stubborn at first, but he bought in and George became a much better player um, towards the the uh, the middle of the year and um, ended up being a pretty dang good player for Indiana. Great guy. Going to be a millionaire. Yep. You heard it here first. 
Newton too. Newton was just quiet. And I thought, here's a kid from, you know, a, a tough part of Atlanta and he weighs a hundred pounds and he's very quiet. What, I, I don't see it. What, what are we, you know, that's not the big 10 body type anyway. Right. I mean, you know, you got, of course, the other side of it would be like a Richard Mandeville who, you know, is the polar opposite and still get the same result. It's, uh, Newton was just very skinny, uh, never spoke, uh, hard to play with at first. And, you know, I think it, it took some, took some special time with, um, coach, coach Davis. I'll give him a lot of credit to make Newton the really good player that he, that he became. And, you know, if it wasn't for me, uh, Newton, I think, is the all-time uh, leader in games played for Indiana. Wow! And I would, I knew he was the all-time blocks leader. I yeah, I would have that. Played. I would have that record if I hadn't bit my fingernail so low that I got a staph infection. Really? You guys, <laughs> you, guys you guys don't know this, but I bite my fingernails. I'm to the point to where it's borderline appalling like <laughs> grotesque yeah i would I'll, say I'll, it, I'll, I'll send you a picture <laughs> oh thanks i love when, when it leads to a staph infection i would think that would might be the time to you know get some hypnosis or something to figure out how not to do that anymore get a fidget spinner you know what i i did both i tried both <laughs> the latest was probably a month ago with these fidget spinners yeah. and coach Izzo said all right it's either you or that damn thing you have in your hand, but one of them has to go. Wow. So I'm looking for a silent one that has more than just the spinner. Yeah. So so I did get a staph infection, and we were playing in the um, – What year? What what year in school? My sophomore year. It okay. was the Hoosier Classic. Oh, wow. In Indianapolis, we ended up uh, – it was Valpo and one other team, I think. But um, I got a staph infection, and – I'll always remember this because I was so sick and my hand was, well, just picture Eric's head. And my <laughs> hand was that, it looked like it was so big and swollen that I, I couldn't sleep. I was puking. I, I, I don't know, flu, flu-like symptoms. And it was one of the worst nights of my life. And, and uh, we were staying at the Doubletree, free cookies. I didn't even yeah. have the stomach to eat a cookie in Indianapolis and, so I missed the first game. I was in bed at the hotel, throwing up. But I got up the next morning and walked into breakfast, and the team was in there. And I'll never forget this. And I walked in. Coach Knight saw me, and he said, all right, I want every, every one of you guys to stand up and face Dane. And he never really usually called me Dane. It was whatever, but it wasn't Dane. And I want everybody to give him a round of applause. And he had he had this look on his face and the smile, and <clears throat> it was really dumb and made me really uncomfortable. But I think it was obviously to me it was Coach Knight not trying to be funny or sarcastic, but trying to say, "All right, idiot, <laughs> we believe it or not." you drive us nuts every day, but we actually kind of like you around and we're happy you're back and feeling good and you're going to live. 
Wow. <laughs> and and uh, it, it, I just, I never forgot that, and I always appreciated it. Maybe I'm the only one that thought that, that Coach Knight wasn't being sarcastic, but I, I really appreciated that, and all over a nail that was bitten too low over Christmas. Well, and wow. here, here the f- couple times we've called you before we've gotten recording, I- I've I thought you were eating chips when we were talking to you. Turns out you were just chewing on your nails before we got <laughs> ah, called. See, see, oh. I just you know what? I constantly try to cover it up, and yeah. put a blanket over it, and I can't hide anymore. So, have, have but, you put anything like gross tasting on your nails? Have you tried that? Tried it. Yeah, yeah bite right through it. I can't. My my. Uh, my grandpa, who's an old World War II veteran, he didn't know this, but my grandma, well, he didn't know at first, My his wife, my grandma, uh, offered me $100 a nail if I'd quit, if I quit. And upon finding out about this, my grandpa was mad. <laughs> and uh, he was yelling, at, not yelling, but he was a professional complainer, just an old <laughs> hillbilly. And... Uh, I remember his old Southern draw. He finally just said, now, Judy, you know what I'd do? I'd just rub cat shit on his nails every damn day. (laughs) And I've always thought about that. That might be the next step. (laughs) Might be the next step. And uh, I don't know. Here's here's to you, Papa. Yeah. Cat shit. Straight from the kitty loo. Now I just got to get a cat. Um. Let's take a step back before you get to the Hoosier Classic, because that year starts, the team's unranked. Uh, we, we obviously have some new players in, but you start off the year in pretty incredible fashion. You beat Temple, you beat Notre Dame, and then you play, of course, the hated Kentucky. And in looking back at just kind of box scores and things, it seems like this is where you start to get at least a little bit more comfortable offensively. We know that. No. Is that not true? Let me stop you there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me guess. You never got comfortable offensively. Not until my senior year. First three years, just you can mark it down as a train wreck. <laughs> but you did have a great game in that game. Against, against who? Against Kentucky? Kentucky. Yeah. In the RCA, like, yeah. though. You're looking at the stats. I had five layups, all from A.J. Guyton, because they triple-teamed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know what, Dane? I want to ask you this, though, because... There is a, uh, I don't don't want to call it an urban legend, but there is the thought that your offensive game was stifled, and and I think you would say this is not true, but I am curious for you to address it, that your offensive game was stifled because Coach Knight just didn't allow for you guys to be you guys, and when Coach Davis took over the team, you were able to flourish. Is that all bullshit? Straight crap. Okay. Mm. So tell us, I don't want to skip ahead to your senior year, but tell us what happened just as you, for you as a player on why it took you to your senior year for your offensive game to just kind of go nuts, which it did. Well, you know, first of all, when you think of a player, you think of, um, if, if you look at baseball, okay, the pitcher is the one that's, most affected and probably the batter but the pitcher for sure is the one that's most impacted by pressure and it's it's the throw it's the art of the throw when you have to throw it with aim with pinpoint accuracy 
there's so many muscles involved. And when you get to the smaller, finer muscles, those are the first things to go when you feel pressure. And so in basketball, we're all pitchers for the most part. Um, when it comes to having the ball in our hands. Right. And a shot. And so, yeah. And so the, the, the free throw line is the worst. I mean, it is a lonely spot, especially in, you just find so many ways to talk yourself into missing, you know? And, and so a guy like AJ Guyton, I don't know how he figured it out, but he processed things differently than I did, which made him a much better shooter when it was game time. You know, coach Davis used to call me quarter till. And he called me quarter till because I was really good until the lights turned on. <laughs> oh, man. That is a rough nickname. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, I loved it. Uh, A.J. Guyton used to call me a practice All-American. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and it was just something where, you know what? There's the, the Kobe's and the Michael's, the Ray Allen's that can somehow thrive in those moments. There's, there's everybody in the middle ground that if they just would get out of their own way, you know, their brain, whatever it, whatever's, whatever's happening, they'd be up in that Kobe, Michael, Ray Allen pressure echelon or the top pick pitchers in, in major league baseball or the top QBs in football. Then there's the, the lower tier of people that just straight choke like Shaq at the free throw line. Yeah. Like my, he probably shot more free throws than than the two best free throw shooters ever combined. Shaq probably practiced, but it wasn't his mechanics as much as it was his his mind, the psychology of it. And so, you know, I was pretty good up until my sophomore year of high school, and I started really feeling pressure, and that negative star start stuff started getting in my head of you know, it's the game became a business and I had to perform and meet expectations. And I didn't want to be embarrassed and didn't want to let the fans down and all that. And it's, it happens to, I would say, you know, Cassius Winston, even one of our players right now is one of the best shooters in the country. And he certainly is one of the best free throw shooters. And yet he's shooting, he'll shoot 85 to 90%. When in practice, he could go 10, he can go a hundred for a hundred. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. Hmm. And so we all, we all fold under pressure to some extent, but you know, that, that's where my head was, was I just put so much pressure on. I, I like to say, it's not a choke. It's, it's over caring. Like right. you care too much, you know? And it's funny. You mentioned my sophomore year. Um, there was a game we played Buffalo, but the night that the practice the day before I could not make a layup. And it, it all went hand in hand with overthinking it, even a layup. Just find a way to just get the ball in the hoop. So there was a layup that I went up and uh, missed in practice. And I remember Coach Knight saying, damn it, Dane, if you're going to do it like that, just go up and dunk the damn ball. So the next night we're getting ready to play Buffalo, or we, we're playing Buffalo, and opening tip somehow I find myself with a breakaway and it was the wrong side. I was so much better from the left side. So I was a left foot jumper than the right side, but I'm on the right side and I go in and I think I went in to dunk it. <laughs> and 
and threw the ball over the rim. <laughs> I, I, I airballed a dunk. <laughs> and I think I came out after that. But it was so embarrassing. It's probably because I went to a, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember the concert. It got over at nine. Don't worry, guys. But, uh, was it the Y store? Indigo Girls. Oh, Indigo Girls. We're talking they, they some good '90s back. stuff here. Do you want us to edit Love. that out later? <laughs> we could yeah. we, we could say Metallica or something if you want to. No, hey, no shame. I, I liked the Indigo Girls, but yeah. karma got me. I shouldn't have been out. I should have been studying game film. <clears throat> but that was the only time I ever tried to dunk in college. Really? But, um, oh yeah, I I wasn't very flexible, guys, and. <laughs> Ten days ago, I figured out why I couldn't really jump in college is because I couldn't get to 90, 90 degrees on the sit and reach, which do your homework. It's embarrassing. I'm going to have to see if I can do 90 degrees on the sit and reach. Do you know what the sit and reach is? It sounds like something from Pledge Ship to me. Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> I'm assuming sit and reach is when you're on the ground and you have to reach forward to your toes. and To see your how, toes. Yeah, yeah, see what angle your body can get at. Yes, and uh, not getting to 90, 90 degrees is an understatement. I think I was at negative 40. So <laughs> the strength and conditioning coaches were perplexed at how somebody could be a Division One player and be so inflexible. Is that what it is, inflexible? Yeah. So, Dane, when that was going on and you you kind of knew that you weren't processing pressure as well as you wish you could have, did you try to do anything to deal with that? I mean – uh, you know, sports psychologists, I don't think, were a thing that colleges were giving at that point to their players. But were you trying anything to kind of deal with the mental side of it, or were you just trying to push through as much as you could? Well, you try to work, work your way out of it, because that's what the cavemen say. I mean, anybody, like, that was born, you know, before 1950, it's just get out get out your billy club and – right calling somebody over the head and say, make shots, make shots and come in and shoot more. And there's just so much, it's, it's just completely not true. And, you know, Rick Ankiel, the former pitcher for the Cardinals, right around where I was my own head case. And like in 1998, I remember watching him pitch against the Atlanta Braves in, in the, the playoffs game one. And I watched, yep. In divisional series against the Braves and he was starter for game one Cardinals. Yep. And he'd had a great rookie year. Um, he was the next star. He was a high school phenom right to the, you know, right to going into the professional baseball. And he was my age. And I remember watching the game and he threw one wild pitch and that was literally it. career pitching career over. And it just got in his head and, and golfers it's called putting. It's called the yips, right? Shooters. I'd say it's the same thing. Uh, when you're shooting a basketball and anything involving the hands and the finer muscles, it is the yips and he got the yips and he never recovered. And I, I recently read his book. Yeah. I was just going to ask you if you did. I read it as well. Isn't it great? It's incredible. Yeah. But that's, that's a lot of the stuff he tried to do to fix it was my story. And I, I never actually drank alcohol before a game. I right. never was had any of my system but I legitimately thought about what can I do just to not care so much can I change my attitude and just not because because 
it's like you thespians, you guys understand it. You got to be in character. And when, when you're shooting for a movie or a, or a podcast, you got to be in character. And so I thought how to just not care. So if I don't care on the court, I, you know, it's kind of the way I'd have to be in life. And, and, uh, that didn't work. And so I would turn to stuff like, well, what if I just got a buzz before the game and, and it was just funny reading, not funny, but interesting reading Rick's book that yeah. he actually would would do that before he'd have to pitch and, and he'd have some in a water bottle. He'd have vodka or whatever you drink in a water bottle. And ironically, fellas, I called Rick because I'm trying to figure that out. How do you crack the code of helping guys perform under pressure when you've gone, when it's, when it's gotten in your head so deep that you're paralyzed. Right. And there's always going to be ebb and flow with confidence, but there's a certain sect out there that just, it paralyzes, it manifests itself. It kind of spills into, into, into your life in terms of how you process and deal with it. And, uh, there's really no cure it's just managing it and surviving. And that's really what I figured out is how can I play? So I just, you know, defense is like, like football. You're just a linebacker. You just, you just hit people. You just play harder than them. Big muscle stuff, I call it. Hmm. So I was talking to Rick and, you know, it was just fascinating. And you read his book, he really has no answer. Nope. You know, he talks about his relationship with the, with the world renowned psychologist, but there was no answer. Um, in terms of how you fix it, really. And, you know, there would be good days and there would be crappy days. And I don't know the rhyme or reason to what it did. And, and you know, golf, you know, it's it's big in golf right now. I think it's beta blockers or Xanax or Adderall or any other and street drugs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's people trying to gain an advantage by, you know, getting rid of that pressure that they put on themselves mainly is what it is. It's just invented stuff, but it's uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. That's for sure. Sorry to get off on. No, that. No, 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 it's, it's fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. And there's, there's something that uh, Jared had mentioned to us uh, with good humor and affection about you, that there would be moments on the court where you would just sort of disappear. You'd get a look in your eyes and Jared said, Oh boy, we lost Dane. Dane's gone. <laughs> and and not like Dane's in the zone. He's he's hot, yeah. get him the ball. It's like, oh, he's he's gone for a while. We need to figure this out without yeah. him. Is yeah. that is it was were you aware when that was happening? Do, can you can you reflect on that now on on what that was? Well, I think in times of where it, it had manifested that the pressure had manifested into borderline when I say paralysis, yeah, I it means just like you lose your ability to be as a basketball player, the ability to play instinctually, right. It's gone. You know, you go into the fight or flight and when you go into the fight or flight, the physiological changes, your heart, the, the, the noticeable ones are your sweat goes to a cold sweat. You know, your, your heart starts beating really hard. Um, I guess if you go back to the primitive days when cavemen were, just rolling. If you guys believe in cavemen, the, the fight or flight was, you know, you fight with your hands, right? You, 
you know, and the blood is, it goes to your, the center of your, your, your body to protect the organs and you lose feeling. And that one little minute feeling loss in, in the tip of your fingertips can change your shot. And just off a point, you know, 0.5 of a degree or 0.005 can cause a miss at the basket. And so um, there were moments like that. There weren't really moments like that my senior year, but my junior year with Jared, for sure, where I would still be locked in on defense. But, and you know, when, when I was embarrassed or, you know, something happened that shouldn't really happen with a Indiana basketball player or McDonald's All-American, there were moments for sure. Did you um, ever feel like uh, worried that the rest of the world would like figure it out? Like, were you scared that, oh man, I gotta, I, I can't let people know about this because yeah. I am a McDonald's High School All-American. I am an Indiana player. They, they can't know that I'm going through this, and then that creates even more stress. And I don't want to say depression, but but it's got to create just more anxiety for you. Anxiety, you know, lack of sleep lack of sleep leads to depression. It's all those things. And it's a horrible feeling. So what do you try to do to counter it as a 20 year old? Right. You party, you know, well, you party, you, you create that bravado of you're tough and mean and all that. And you go into survival, self-preservation. And I just felt like, okay, you, you said it, was that Eric that was talking? Yes. You, you don't know my voice right. by now. I mean, that's no, offensive. That's no, offensive. I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, that lack of moisture out there is. <laughs> Ward and I are just morphing into the same person. Some some dryness in your sinuses, your <laughs> nasal passages. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that the, the survival mode is what do I have to do to maintain my image, my ego? Uh, I don't want to not play. I hate playing, but I don't want to not play. And so I just, you know, went into literally defense mode. I got to I gotta be able to be a, the best defender, best screener, uh, all the things that didn't require the ball. Right. Because when the ball hit my hands, I was just trying to get rid of it. Wow. And, and just, or, or don't pass it to me. Now, the shot clock was different because the shot clock was okay. Yeah, last sec shot clock was okay because it was okay to miss, but right. and it varied the intensity of it, the pressure would vary. And there's, I, I don't understand. It didn't matter the game per se. It just mattered the 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 day. I guess it's hard to pinpoint exactly what would make the situation more severe. Why it would be better or not? You know, maybe you get an easy layup, get a steal for an easy layup. All those things are, are. I mean, we all feel deal with nerves. We all deal with pressure, and there's, you know, that pressure usually peaks at the start of the event, and then it goes away because you, you just you get comfortable and you play yeah. instinctually and all those right. things. But it was just a second by second battle all game, except for defense. And it was one thing I figured out is I loved to uh, strategize against the player I was going against. And so it, the game became fun 
The only problem is I had to go on offense. Right. <laughs> I had to figure out how to be valuable on offense, and that's why I said last time, Kirk Haston, I want my piece of the pie. Yeah, that's right, those screens. Congressman, let's go. Give me some money. (laughs) Uh, I do want to ask, though, and I don't want to skip too far ahead because we'll get there, but going through what you did and dealing with that had has to have figured into why you became such a good coach. I mean, your success at IPFW, which we'll get into, and obviously now at Michigan State, it has to just give you such a unique perspective on the athlete and what they're going through that may not be so easily seen by people who didn't go through it. Do you think that that, that going through what you did has helped you just kind of understand the the, the struggles of athletes? You know, I think when you say athletes, um, I think when you really look at it, it's, it's, um, you know, mostly it's, you know, you, you got to do something to, to instill discipline. And we're talking about a team sport. So, and we're talking about a, a, a team sport where everybody has to be connected at all times which means on offense, whether it's with the ball, without the ball, there's got to be great spacing. You know, there's got to be everybody on the same page in order to, you know, in order to make things happen and make it work against a defense. And, and, and then you go back, you go on the defensive end. It's no secret why I think three of the top four teams in the final four were some of the best defensive teams in the country because they were connected. And, um, I think when you really talk about what I'm trying to to do is is things that involve the ball and how to maximize whatever that may be someone's potential like Matt McQuaid, okay? Take Matt McQuaid. Matt McQuaid's over in Germany. Matt is works as as there's not a college player or a basketball player in the country that shot more threes in that practice more threes than Matt McQuaid. And yet I think Matt McQuaid was really good college shooter at 44, but my point would be that there's not a player that shot more. Let's put it that way. And so if there's 50 of them that shot as much as Matt, but only two of them made it to the NBA, what does that say, given that every, they're the same in every other category, which is good defender, good ball, whatever, a good basketball player, right. but elite shooter. If all 50 were elite shooters, then they'd be in the NBA. But only two of them are. What does that mean? That means that there's something going on where the two can make shots when it matters, hmm. and the 48 that didn't make it, you know, there's something going on. And, and so, like I, like I like to say, baseball pitching's easier. And I just like to say that, you know, if, if every pitcher that threw 98 miles an hour out there could put the ball where they wanted it and got movement on their fastball, then you'd have never heard of Greg Maddox. Right. Which is to say that there's so much more to it than that. And really it comes down to, you know, it, it, there's mechanics. Don't get me wrong. There's mechanics, but you got to throw strikes, and that's a small strike zone. Well, and well, the hardest part is the control, and control goes away quick when the lights turn on. If you're not 
I like to say people like to say mentally tough, but everybody wants to be mentally tough. I think it's just something that happens. Some pe- some psychologists, psychiatrists will say it's it's something that um, is hereditary. Believe it or not, like mm. I'm born to choke, or it's something that maybe happened typically in the childhood that doesn't have to be traumatic, but it could be, but it's something that, that cause your, your, your brain or your a stimulus to not work the right way when the real pressure in the fight or flight response. This is something I saw on the sidelines very recently uh, of a Colts game before a game winning drive was Jacoby Brissett meditating. And he's talked to the press about this and also saw relatively recently a special on the Lakers teams with Kobe and Shaq and that Phil Jackson would actually get those teams to meditate for an hour together. Is that something you've explored at all or thought about as a coach to help players with is to to get them into some sort of meditation practice? Well, and I, and I think that really helps. It really does. Um, I think in this day and age where everything has to happen now, not, not cause, cause when we're young, it's my understanding that we're all impulsive, right? You know, we all want it now, but typically it's been our parents or the people we trust and love or our coaches that have said, dude, chill, be patient. The process matters. You have to, you can't be the CEO before you, you know, you're boxing, you're working in the mailroom, you know, there's a process. And I think, um, we all want it now. And <clears throat> I, I'm just not sure that you can convince a group of people or a young kid and have their families backing with, with meditation <laughs> right? To, to buy into them. I know I couldn't have. I, I don't think I could have met it. I, I did try psychology, but a sports psychologist, but, um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know the hypnosis part. I, I can't find a hypnotist that can put me under hypnosis. So maybe it takes a special person. I don't know. I haven't studied that enough, but, um, it is a, it's a tough phenomenon that I think everybody deals with, you know, it just makes you wonder why it, why this happens. Just the fight or flight response is different for everybody. Right. Um, to, to get into your sophomore year, cause some stuff happens here off the court that, that clearly impacts what's going on on the court. But December of your sophomore year, there is an incident with coach Knight and Ron Felling. I don't want to get into like relitigating what happened. All I really care about is, is it affecting you guys at the time? Do you know what's happening? Is it bothering you? Is coach distracted? Does any of that figure into what's happening with the team? No. And I think that when we're in that environment, that bubble, we're in the entertainment business. Again, I'll talk about that a lot, but we're in our own world, you know, like, unless it's catastrophic, it's, if it's not Ron Felling, it's someone else. If it's not, you know, we knew who we were there to play for. 
and unless it was Coach Knight, it's, you know, we're just there trying to become pros. We're there trying to, to do what we're supposed to do, um, you know, and unfortunately a lot of us were there, including myself, for, for you know, many different reasons, and and uh, it it showed in, in this the, the year that you're getting ready to talk about. And right. So, so the Ron Felling incident, um, we liked Ron. We were sorry to see him go, but our lives went on pretty quickly. Right. And, and it was simply because we were 20 or 18 to 22, and we were trying to keep, get our career going and go to school, and not, nothing could, could bother us. Eric, do you want to get into any of the particular games in this season? Well, the the interesting thing about what's happening on the court is you started off unbelievable. You're twelve and one. You're ranked ninth in the country. You you actually go on to a start of seventeen and three, seven and two in conference. It seems like things are really clicking for the team. Did I know when we talked in our first part, the earlier part of this conversation, you talked about how you know you you. You're very honest, Dane, in talking about the talent that you see around you and how good the team can be. And you, you, you weren't sure how good you could be, you know, you, at the beginning of your career. When things are clicking and you're 17 and three and ranked ninth in the country and a 12 and one start, are you thinking we're really good, or are you still thinking we're maybe not as good as our record here? No, I think we thought we were pretty good. Like you said, we we beat Temple, we beat some good teams. Um, I think in the back of our mind, we knew there was games like Indiana State. Um, you know, we knew who was really good in our conference. Obviously, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin was pretty good. Um, it was hard to say because we were we weren't clicking. Um, we, you know, we weren't clicking on on either end as far as um, obviously myself, my own. Coach, you could sense that Coach Knight, he changed the lineup offensively and he changed it defensively. You could sense, and some of us knew that, you know, the buy-in wasn't complete. We were not mm. a close team in that we were we were demanding the most from each other, and that's you could clearly tell it because when it when it is just the coach and it's us against the coach and we're not holding each other accountable it's not the best recipe and, and typically it doesn't get you where you want to get. Right. Well, I mean, because things end up after that great start, you guys lose six of nine and, and I think everybody had just a terrible feeling in the pit of our stomach after that Pepperdine loss. Yeah. When was the first time you had heard rumblings of this story that was going to be printed about Coach Knight and the Neil Reed incident from years before, before you even got to campus, when did that bubble up as something that was in the collective consciousness of the team? Well, I, you know, my my circumstance that was, my understanding of the video was very, I don't even know if it had ever been spoken about, and... um I knew Neil as a guy that I never had met Neil Reed and I knew him as a guy that the players liked. Um, I think that he and coach Knight, 
you know, it's it's hard because Neil's the son of a coach. I was a son of a coach, and guys like us are are hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just it's hard to say. I just knew that you know discipline mattered, and doing what the coach needed to get needed you to do, and having everybody on the same page mattered. And that was my thought process that I was never, ever going to, you know, not, not believe that because I knew it was the recipe for success to have everybody uh, on the same page. And that involved incredible discipline. And so that was my stance on, on, on uh, where I was as a player, Sure. because I was at one point being looked at as the fourth McDonald American in a row to transfer. And I, Never even thought about it. I would never have thought about it, and because it, it was Neil Reed, then Collier, then Wrecker, then right. maybe me, and and uh, I never even thought about it. But um, I, you know, I shunned it. You know, I think at the time Neil was at another school, and I just, you know, Neil Reed transferred. What you know, it wasn't uh, something that I was concerned about at all. I, in fact, I knew of no tape. I right. knew of no incident. I knew of no choking incident to that point, if I remember correctly. Well, and then it was March 14th is when the story broke. And a lot of people look at when the story broke and the time of the year that it was, which is three days before you play an NCAA tournament game, as just, you know, this is people that seem to have an axe to grind against Coach Knight and the way he did things. And they just released this story at what has to be the most painful time to do it to him. What they, of course, don't realize is you're also hurting a bunch of kids who are busting their asses. Um, That had to have been, I mean, the circus came to town, basically, on March 14th. What was that like for you, Dane? Just, I mean, I know you're focused on the team and your season, but clearly a dynamic here changed when that story got released a couple days before the tournament. What was that? Just walk us through. Put us in that time frame for you. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the video had not been released, right? Correct. The video didn't come out till Story. a month later. And I don't think it was Neil that had said it, or was it? No, well, no. On the March 14th story, they had quotes from Neil where he said, Coach choked me for five seconds or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I, I felt like that was, if if it wasn't Neil's story, then it wasn't somebody else's story to tell. Okay. And that's at the time what I felt like. And I felt like somebody put Neil at the time. This is all sure. at the time. This is not my opinion now. But at the time, I thought that somebody had put Neil in a pretty tough spot. Right. And I don't I don't know whether Neil was upset when he left or not. But, you know, that was Neil's story to tell. And it wasn't for somebody to drag Neil to get Neil into it, uh, to bring Neil into the the fray for, for a vindictive, for their own personal, you know, vindictive story. Or just personal you know, gain, truthfully. Personal like being, gain. You know, being yeah, the writer. Or, or, or as yeah. I think it was more of a payback, but right. maybe not. That was just my 20-year-old thinking. And, and um, you know, I felt like it was, um, if, if there was a problem with it, then, then release it when it happened. Right. As opposed to hang on to it and use it as some sort of leverage or or, or kind of insurance of, policy of, for a later of, date or payback yeah, yeah. yeah a money maker yeah 
And I felt like if Neil had a problem with it, it was Neil's story to tell. Now, AJ told us at this time that the difficulty was like coach wasn't even in practice leading up to the tournament, that there were practices the coach was missing because he was dealing with the university. They were calling press conferences. They were dealing with lawyers in the background. Do you remember that turmoil leading into that tournament game against Pepperdine? You know what? I just remember the, the, the news coverage. Yeah. You know, it wasn't out of the ordinary to have, an, you know, the news coverage as, it, as you know, circumstantial Indiana's getting ready to go play an NCAA tournament with a pretty good team. Um, <clears throat> but I do remember watching some news telecasts where they would, the reporter would, would talk about the incidents and just the, the tumultuous career that Coach Knight had, the Puerto Rico, the Chariots, and all those things over 30 years. Right. There's certainly some, some issues. Um, Were you angry? At the time, like not at not not at coach, but like for coach, were you like they're they're coming after us here? We've got to circle the wagons here. I think we were all pretty angry, yeah, um, on coach's behalf because you know, coach aside, you're 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 messing with our team, right? And you're messing with those are our dreams. Those are those are things that the innocent dreams of me for Mike Lewis or, or, um, you know, Coverdale, for example, those, those are, we're right where we want to be. And, you know, though you're not in the program anymore, you know, or, or you're not in the program period. Mm -hmm. Those are our dreams. You know, this is our team. We're trying to do something special here for our team, for Indiana, for, for our program, for our coaches, for our fans, for our families. And so, yes, we were, we were upset um, that, that people were poking and prodding and disrupting um, what we had going. Sure. Well, now as the season concludes, it kind of ties into this narrative of the last few seasons of coach night, even preceding you that the the teams never finished as strong as expectations going into the season or even during the season uh, had warranted. And that here you guys do end up losing six of nine, including your last game in the regular season against Wisconsin. You're knocked out by Illinois first round of the Big Ten tourney. This news breaks and then you lose to Pepperdine. Is there a sense of impending doom around the program? Do you feel like the wheels are going to come off or is it just like, man, what a terrible way to wrap things up this year. Let's go get them next year. We'll be fine. I don't think we had the, let's go get them next year. We'll be fine. I don't think there was impending doom either. I think we felt um, it's funny because I think there were, there was a feeling of can't wait to get this over with. Right. And the reason was, is because it was just, there were so many distractions. Um, I don't think anybody ever voiced that they could wait, couldn't wait to get it over with. And then, you know, you combine it with with those that are unhappy with, you know, <clears throat> how their how their season's going, um, you know. And then there's probably select few that are just dialed in and and trying to win. But, um, you know, I think we felt bad for Coach Knight. Like we felt bad that we let the the state, the college down. Um, but I just think there were so many distractions. Yeah. 
that weren't our fault as players um, and and uh, that that it was was pretty fr- so there's a lot of anger from that standpoint that you know it, we were we were we felt um, you know we felt that it was that was uh, we felt frustration um, we felt that we were being targeted and that was no propaganda that was being spread to us we just we knew what we knew and it was every day for basically nine months that we were together with our with our coaches and our our team and everybody else thought they knew what they saw and right and read and so we are a, we were a family and that's the way it is when you spend that much time and you win and lose together like that it's just the way it was and and we were going to be loyal to one another. So the se- season ends. You lose Michael Lewis and AJ Guyton, your leading scorer, and Michael Lewis, which was you know a big loss, point guard, leader on the team. And then the tape does come out. And again, I don't. I'm not asking you to 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 go down memory road and tell us what you think about the the tape. All I'm curious about is when that tape did come out. Did it change anything for you? in how you were processing everything that was happening or was it just kind of another piece of the story that you just want to get behind you? Well, you know, what I, what I saw was times have changed. Times had changed and coach Knight, I felt like he was doing his best to change with the times and uh, it was a struggle and I can't imagine you know, if, if you took a coach night from maybe the eighties or nineties and, and he's back coaching today, what, what he'd have to deal with. And we're all struggling from, you know, probably the age of uh, 35 on because we, well, 30 on maybe 25 on because we, we knew what it was like without the internet and the social media. Right. And today's child is, is growing up with, with, you know, the iPad in their hands and the iPhone and forgive me if I left out the other companies, <laughs> the, the Androids, Black, the Blackberry, the Android. Um, I actually thought when my parents got me my first cell phone at the age of 20, I thought it was a garage door. Opener. I, said, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't have a garage, <laughs> but it was a cell phone. I said, what do I need this for? Right. You know, nobody, there's bad service and nobody has one. Well, it's in case you get, for your six and a half hour drive home, in case you get a flat tire. So I said, I can change my own flat. So I almost gave it up. Wow. But uh, um, I, I think that um, we, we acknowledged that, all right, coach, you got to chill, my man. Right. You know, you, we love you. I came here for you. They said you're getting softer, your former players. Good move. Keep getting softer because we don't want to lose you. And so, you know, I, I think that we all knew Coach Knight before we committed there. Right. During the recruiting process. And like I said, I've watched the game where Indiana's playing Michigan at Chrysler Arena for the Big Ten Championship. And right before my eyes as a six-year-old coach Knight's going nuts on Daryl Thomas. Right. Hmm. You know what? I like that. Yeah. 
sorry. I like that kind of discipline. I like that if I get caught not hustling or not focused, not playing hard, I like that kind of discipline. You know, the United States military, the best military on the, in the history of the world. Well, it, it's, we, it, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because you were in the middle of a bit of a, a, a just insane controversy last year when Coach Izzo was disciplining Aaron Henry and everybody yep. like went crazy. And I think anybody who grew up, like you said, of a certain age and anybody who, especially anybody who was a Coach Knight fan, I mean, I saw that and I was like, good for him. Like, what, what are we doing? What is anybody getting upset about? My God, I get I, I used to get yelled at like that like routinely, just by teachers. Yeah. yeah. Like, Middle school coaches. Yeah. Well, I, I can mean, imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, you've Same talked here. to me for a while. But Same here. And, and you know what? I think that Coach Izzo will always say, and this it's funny because when he's trying to drive a point home to his staff, us, myself, DJ Stevens, Mike Garland, you know he's really big on spending time with our players and getting to know them on a different non-superficial, Hey, come play basketball. We'll make you NBA player level, you know, have a little depth in the relationship. If hard questions need to be asked, ask them. If you got to tell them the truth and you're going to hurt their feelings, doesn't matter. You got to tell them. Right. And I, I, in the bottom line, and he'll say this a lot, what would you do if it were your own kids? And you know what? If it were my daughter uh, skipping class or skipping school or, or uh, not being coachable or not being teachable in class, there'd be a problem. Right. And it wouldn't be pretty. I might raise my voice, believe it or not. <laughs> but these, these, Kids have an unbelievable, and our players will say they have an unbelievable opportunity here that most kids would 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 die for. Right, not literally, but that's a figure of speech, folks. <laughs> for all you sensitive people out exactly. there, exactly, all of you woke give, people, give up their um, hair for, if you will. Eric. Oh boy. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why I did it. You know, maybe <laughs> I just was so okay with getting yelled at by people that my that's, hair went away. That's a good point. And yet they're still kids. They want to be men, but they're kids. They don't know what they don't know. And it's just like our own kids. And so that, from that perspective, it's, it's, you find yourself and, and we say this a lot in coaching, like I want it more than you want it player. I want it more than, gosh, if, if, if you wanted it for bad, as bad as I did, you'd be in the MB, you know, and it's, it's not much different. And so that frustration when, when, when attempt one to get a player to run the floor hard, doesn't, Hey, come on, you can do it, please. Right. Attempt two. <laughs> hey bud, pick it up. Here's why you should do this because there's 12 NBA scouts watching you loaf up and down the court. That's why you should do it. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So next time you'll do it? Okay. All right. Third time. You know what? I've tried this. I've tried that. How about you're not going to play? Right. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So you're blaming me because you don't want to run her. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm picking on you. Okay. <laughs> so then you just get to the point where it's and, – and think about the conversations you – think about the, the things you've tried to do with your own parents to try to get yourself – try to deflect blame. I right. Mean, 
And so that's where the yelling comes. And 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 thank God, you know what? Aaron Henry owned up. His you know you know what was better? And Aaron Henry's dad owned up. I want my kid coached. I want my kid held accountable. But what we have here is pretty unique. We've got a culture where Cassius Winston said, Coach, I got him. Let's go. You go, you go draw something up. He's gonna be run, Aaron Henry's gonna be running the court from from now on. And Aaron's not lazy. He's a great kid. He's a freshman. He's gonna lose focus. And that's all it was. And and you'd be you'd be surprised. We've got a lot of positive responses. Oh good. I'm glad. Um in, in recruiting especially. Like believe it or not, I think that the parents that are looking for it and not looking for you know, reasons to not come. Parents that are looking for reasons to come to Michigan State, they 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 want that. They want somebody to care about their kid enough that, you know, emotions are going to come out, you know? Well, on a societal level, I'm happy about that. As an Indiana fan, that pisses me off. You don't need any more reasons to get recruits to go to Michigan State. Good Lord. We just That's need one point. at Indiana. You've done fine on recruiting, okay, before the Aaron Henry <laughs> yelling at him fiasco. You're doing fine. <laughs> Good you were God. thinking he's transferring, aren't you? Look, I please. wanted him to come to Indiana the please. first time. Yes, please. I understand. I, I can't blame you. He's a good player. Yeah, Quality kid from well, Naptown. Yeah, originally all right. From right. Listen, let's not let's not go down the road of you guys I'm beating us for recruiting. I'm trying to face in the sand. I was just That's giving you what a background. It felt like. Yeah, it felt. <laughs> all know, right, we know the background. All right, Dane. so <laughs> now let's get back to this for a second. What you had talked about as being kind of feeling like you were being attacked and targeted. A lot of that coming from the outside, the story that came out. But now, this gets really weird, because now it feels like, and I remember feeling this way just as a a recent alum at this point, it felt like, well, what the hell? The president of the university is coming after us. I mean, it felt like Miles Brand, God rest his soul, had a vendetta against Coach Knight and college athletics, and just turned his, he used whatever was happening as his way of leaving his legacy at Indiana, and he was coming after Coach Knight and the basketball team. Did it feel like that to you, that it was internal at this point? You know point? what? It, it, to me, it didn't. I think that, you know, there's always the disconnect, especially at the high major, you know, the power five level between, you know, academia, which which goes directly, it turns right on the president, and and athletics. And which gets put right on the president, and so I think that Miles Brand um, was was a very kind man. He was anytime I ever dealt with a very kind man. I think that um, I don't know how he felt about Coach Knight. I know this that he was put in a difficult situation. I don't know the ins and outs of any conversations. That, that were had between them, but I know that um, the world was changing. And the spotlight and the internet and the news media was put right on us. And we were dealing with, you know, our love for Indiana basketball and, and, and excuse the noise, but we were dealing with our love for Indiana basketball and is that Aaron Henry? Is that Aaron Henry back uh, it's, there? It's, you, it's you, a couple of them. Do you need to yell at I didn't him? See Aaron back there? Not yet. Not okay, yet. good. But it, we're, we're, by the way, if it is with, if it is Cash's Winston, do you want to just ask him how it felt to get shut down by Rob Finnessy? I think Cash is back there. Oh yeah, I mean, just you know, you may want to ask him that. 
I will. Okay. <laughs> That'll motivate him. You don't want me to ask him. Okay, fair enough. Don't ask him. Oh, don't Eric, ask him. We're going to have to blame you. <laughs> Back to our pressure conversation. He, yeah. he likes that stuff. All right, good. Um, sorry, um, so you were saying... You, no, he, he, not good. <laughs> he was in This a... is not going to play in your favor, the, the, <laughs> the, the Miles Brand conversation. Dane, few things think, ever play in our favor. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was put in a really tough spot, and that's not to say... You know, I still stand by um, my statement that I made when Coach was let go is, look, Miles Brand is the president in our school, and that supersedes anybody. And um, I don't agree with his decision, but if I want to be here, or if, 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 if being here matters, I'm going to have to respect it and deal with it. And that that's how I felt then and that's how I, I feel now and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I didn't trash him then and I'm not gonna trash Miles Brand now because I think um he was put in a tough spot whether he agreed or disagreed to to let go of Coach Knight, um I think he was put in a very difficult spot by internal and probably external pressure and like i said the disconnect that happens at the power five conferences between academia and athletics is you know it's you get put under a microscope pretty quickly when you got someone that's in in athletics that's seemingly um by anyone's by by any type of standard um allowed to do things sure. that the university or somebody doesn't think is, uh, you know, uh, in line with the standards of a certain university. And so I think that, you know, coach Knight was definitely a polarizing figure under a microscope and the world was changing. I mean, just the, the, the world was changing and, you know, I don't think that, any one single offense was was a fireable offense however you know the way this the publicized things that often were sensationalized that coach knight did was was just something that nobody probably not even president brand nobody was prepared to deal with just the amount of scrutiny and pressure and the way stuff was publicized and sensationalized, it's it was the beginning of fake news. Yes, mm. it was. Well, let's let's rewind just a hair, and if you could take us through, you know, you're getting there, settled in for your junior year. Uh, the season is about to get underway. How did you find out? what had happened at that he was being let go. And can you kind of take us through the, the hours and days of hearing the news that coach was being let go and how you responded and how you and your teammates sort of rallied together to figure out what you were going to do individually and collectively. Oh, shoot. It's Halloween guys. I forgot. That's right. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Is somebody, somebody show up to trick or treat there at the athletic offices. You know what? I thought Uncle Fester was here, but it was just Seth Greenberg. <laughs> and um, he showed up. But I forgot again. I got to get home and 
What do I? What's my responsibility tonight? I don't know. You got to hand out candy. Yeah. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at too much smiling and too much pressure that I'm enjoying <laughs> too much. I don't want to get shaky and drop some candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a pressure-filled situation. Well, you know what it is. It's I'm really not thinking the kids are cute and they're in, right in their costumes and all that. Sure. And I don't I don't like pretending that I like doing that. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. Okay, wait now. It's for the kids, and yet we're passing out straight <laughs> junk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that they're gonna be responsible for putting in their bodies. That they think it's their right to put it in their body. What are we teaching? <laughs> you know how you've pretended that you've enjoyed talking to us for several hours. That's the kind of performance level you have to put in. Hey, I get to talk about myself. I don't get to do that. I don't get to do that at home. That's for sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. My so- nine-year-old will set me down and tell me to zip it. <laughs> so back to Ward's question of just you walking us through. How did you find out, and what happened in the hours and days that that, that followed? Well, Tom Geyer was um, my roommate, and Tom was a walk-on and just a coach night fanatic, and um, played at Lawrence North, and you know, like myself, he was living his dream, and he was kind of the guy that was uh, very internet. He was a student athlete. <laughs> and um he was a good student and very tech savvy and had the newest cell phone and new best internet uh high speed you know the best good tv all those things anyway um so he was plugged in and he came came and told me that morning um i think it was a sunday morning that coach was gonna get fired and it was september 10th or whatever and um i the um you know the 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 twins that had the the run-in he had with the twins um had kind of been sorted out and vetted and coach knight was talking about it and um it's kind of like you know, I don't really know what happened, but just ignore them, man. I was kind of frustrated with Coach Knight. Like, just ignore these people. Just ignore them. You know, who cares what they call you? You get called something every game, and I just – I couldn't believe it, but it kind of started resonating that, wow, he's, nobody was telling us otherwise, so he may get fired. And, and so I made some calls to my teammates. I think we all kind of made our rounds and we decided that we were going to go to the trustee meeting or the trustee and not the announcement and unify. And, um, we'd done it in the spring where we said we'd seriously consider transfer if coach Knight were let go. And I felt like we meant it. I know I did. And uh, Jared Jeffries hadn't was not a hadn't been on campus yet. He's on campus by now, but so we kind of agreed we'd do the same thing. Like if you let let him go, we're gonna leave. And so you know we we organized and drove up to 
I think it was somewhere on IUPUI's campus. And, uh, you know, we, we just stood there and listened and, and, um, people interviewed us. And I think we had a, should have had a better meeting. Um, but we had a meeting on what we wanted to say. And I think the main point was, let's not look like a bunch of idiots, (laughs) you know, and unfortunately some of us made some poor choices and some of the things that was said, but, um, all in all, I think, you know, we did a pretty good job considering the circumstances. Uh, it'd be crazy to think what would happen now. Oh my God. The attention, the social media, the, the fact that you could just go on your phone and send out a tweet. Yeah. I mean, it would oh, be a disaster. Scary. The yes. age of hot takes. Life changing events, unfortunately. I, and, I, uh, I want to ask you about something that I think Indiana fans will uh, not, they will not love this, but it's a a reason to perhaps like Coach Izzo as an Indiana fan. I was doing some research on it and read a quote from you about, you know, you saying that you were thinking about transferring. And you said, this was a quote from way back when, you said, oh, it was done. I mean, it was done. It was done in my mind. I think Coach Izzo definitely put the brakes on that a little bit. He wanted me to think it. He wanted me to think well, it through. Yeah, I, I didn't have any contact with him, um, with Coach Izzo, but you know, through 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 my dad and a couple other people, uh, I think we had a pretty good agreement that we were going to do everything in our power to get me there if if that was the case and i appreciated that because i've been so crappy up to that point as a player in my mind maybe not in yours no definitely not uh, in ours for sure in mine <laughs> thank you hey we we love honesty so um yeah i mean that that was something that i definitely was considering and i don't you know it was done as i said in my mind but you know, there was, if, if you transfer within conference, you pay your own way. And I think my family would be, would have been willing to do that. At least you pay your own way for a year, but there were other really good options. Um, you know, Mike Bray at Notre Dame was new, but, uh, had a lot of respect for him. It's funny, all the coaches that come up to me now. And, uh, the funniest one was, Roy Williams, because I was always kind of, I was disappointed. I don't know if I would went all the way to Kansas, but Roy, I remember watching Kansas in the 93 Final Four and, you know, just kind of had a, he was kind of getting to the top of the, the pyramid there as coaches yeah. were concerned. And he was the one guy, Kansas, that never offered me a scholarship and, like I said, I'm not sure how I went to Kansas, but when I got my job as a head coach at Fort Wayne, 25, I walk in the gym and I didn't know he knew my name, but said Southern draw. Hey, Dane, I, I, I got to tell you something. <laughs> and he said, you know, I, I got a phone call on you and I would have taken you. <laughs> oh. And he said, he said, it would have been a good marriage. And I'm like, Coach, funny you say that, because I've always been upset with you. Because <laughs> you never you never offered me a scholarship, and it made me mad. Now, before you tell me the truth about what you thought of me as a player out of high school, I want you to know that uh, I've always blamed Matt Doherty. 
He laughed, but, um, you know, it, it was just neat conversations you have. Sure. Um, and, uh, we were, um, you know, I, I think I probably would have went back to Michigan state, but I'm, I'm not sure, uh, looking back cause I, I, I didn't, you know, know how would have would have felt. All right, I can get a scholarship. Why am I going to go pay? Right, have my family pay. So I'm not sure on that, but glad we didn't get there. Do you remember the moment where you were like, "I'm definitely staying at IU. Let's go." Yeah, you know, it was um, the day that they were announcing Coach Davis, and I've got teammates showing up at my house, um, calling met with coach Davis and coach Trelor and you know, Kirk Haston was a big part of it, you know, and, and Kirk had been through his own tragedy of losing his mom and his grandpa, um, that summer. And, uh, uh, actually it was the summer before, but just a tough year for Kirk. And here's Kirk who we all have a lot of respect for. Um, just a good, good, good person and doesn't, you know, doesn't, he's a nice, nice guy. And Kirk's for Kirk was spilling his guts. Like, Hey man, we got a really good chance here to win a championship, but we can't do it without you. And I, you know, I, as we talked about earlier, I'd always been kind of disappointed in my career to that point and felt kind of a, not a beaten down, broken down Jake Taylor type from the <laughs> Cleveland Indians. Right. But just, just a guy that's an average player. And to hear Kirk say something like that, it just, it made me feel I was appreciative. I was, um, it just made me feel like this is where I belong. And these are my guys. These are my teammates. These are my friends. And Indiana's where I belong. And so, you know, when they announced Coach Davis, I, I don't know if I did it before or after, said I was going to come back. And initially my whole purpose for transferring was I didn't think that they were bringing him back, that that I didn't think that Indiana was going to hire those, either Davis or Trelor. So I, that's when I decided. So um, then I made the impulsive decision to say I'm leaving and I was I really didn't want to but I felt like all right I gotta I gotta follow my my follow through with my threat because I'm not somebody right. that's gonna blow smoke and I don't want to be known as that person so I'm gonna get it over with and and not think about it and get moving and move on and one thing's for sure I really didn't want to be part of a new staff right? that was going to come in and, ha and, and, you know, I'll give myself a little credit that had to come in and deal with um, a new set, trying to get a bunch of new players to, 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 to execute under a new system, but more importantly, deal with replacing, being the guy that replaced coach Knight. Sure. Which still today, I mean, there's still, a faction and a pretty strong faction that just wants the glory days. Oh yeah. We know that. We know that faction very well. And no matter who does what, 
and that's not fair. I get it. I understand it. The same thing will be when Coach Izzo retires. However, we've got some delusional people. Yeah. I, I actually don't, To to because you love honesty, I don't think anything will be like when Coach Knight left. The circumstances, I, I mean, look, Coach Judd Heathcote was a big legend at Michigan State, too, and won a national championship. And Coach Izzo replaced him, and obviously he won and won a national yeah. championship. If yeah. some, if whoever replaces Tom Izzo when Tom Izzo leaves wins, and wins in in a consistently and in the right way, then everything will be fine. And the truth is, if Indiana had found the right guy to come in and do things the right way and win at the level, even just at a good level, that person would be, I think, rallied around. For, for the most part. I think there'll always be a small faction that just thinks Coach Knight can come back in and coach again. But, yeah. but, but I, you know, winning does solve a lot, and winning consistently solves almost everything. Um, Agreed. However, Coach K, Coach Izzo, Dean Smith, all of them were, were – I mean, Dean Smith was hung in effigy after three years. And so right, – right. These th- building a culture like Coach Izzo has had um, it takes a lot of time for sure. Well, look, and I'm just not sure that anybody should stay at a place much much longer than I don't know seven ten years because one bad season and you feel like you know I don't I don't know what's deemed a bad season anymore, but one season where one writer wants to tweet that. Tom Izzo or Dane Fife or whoever's lost his ability to coach and he's lost his team. I mean, the way this world works, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it being a head coach is it's rough. You can talk about the money and the money's great, but when you when you see your family like like a coach Crean or Archie Miller or whoever it's when you see your family being subjected to the kind of things that coaches nowadays are subjected to, you know, it's ridiculous. And keep in mind, if you think for a second that Tom Izzo or Archie Miller got into the business for money, you're nuts. Right. You know, you're nuts. I mean, I've seen Archie Miller uh, with a clip on tie as a GA. (laughs) I mean, uh, where the, the end game, I mean, you guys can can organize a film at the age of 16 and become instant millionaires. I mean, Eric, well. you can come up with an incredible nail polish for crying out loud and just inst- <laughs> like like uh, one of the Kardashians. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but if you think that we get in this business to be millionaires, you know, you, you guys are nuts. Why, why would we subject our family? I mean, you couldn't pay me enough to make me feel okay that my daughter, like Coach Creens did, would have to go to school and be subjected to idiots. You know, the, the crowd that yelled at Coach Creens' son um, when he was playing basketball. Right, right. And fire Tom Crean and stuff like that when his son was playing. I think they all needed to sign. They just needed their I'm stupid sign. Yeah, I agree. I think they uh, all... Just sickening. People, uh, yeah. And so uh, I just think it's really hard to build a culture. Um, when you're subjected to, um, I'm not totally blaming the media, but I'm going to put a lot on them for, um, 
and it's funny because I was talking to one of our local beat writers and well, you know, I just, I just, I just tell it as a fact. And I said, well, is it a fact that, you know, we'll say, uh, uh, Bill Mallory should have been fired or is it a fact that Cam Cameron should have been fired? No. Well, no. Well, then why did you write that? You're, and don't blame it on your editor. Your title said that Cam Cameron must go. Right. It's time for Cam, Cam Cameron's time's up. Is that a fact? And, it, you know, I think that people are, especially in the fake news era, where people are just so easily swayed to believe what they hear and read. And I'm not immune to it. I'm really not. But I, I know the business that I'm in. And I know that what what gets cast as, you know, a bunch of greedy men that, you know, businessmen, we're gym teachers, man. We want to coach ball. Now, comes with the territory. I get it. Well, people being idiots doesn't really come with the territory. There's people in, in all facets of life that are idiots. And again, I can... I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, and I've had my fair share of vented frustrations. Right. But I don't know. You're asking for a lot, and you're being a bit unfair when you're, you know, when you're, you know, take the money out of it. It takes time to build any type of business. And like I said, Coach K, Izzo, Dean Smith were all. They all thought they were fired after year three or four. You know, Coach Izzo, I don't know if, you know, Mateen Cleese, he, by, I don't know if it was pure coincidence, but, you know, at University of Michigan, they had the rollover and the Explorer that Mateen was on his recruiting trip. Right. Um, who knows? Coach Izzo might have gotten him anyway, but if not for Mateen, then, then maybe Coach doesn't have a job here. And it was a stroke of luck, but it also had a they, – they took an assistant coach in a fledgling program. I mean, let's, let's understand that Michigan State wasn't a powerhouse when Coach Izzo got the job here right? by any stretch. They were barely making the NCAA tournament. So it took somebody with some guts to say, hey, I'm going to have to take some crap here while this, this – unknown from the upper peninsula of Michigan, basically Peru. I love Peru, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Peru, Indiana. I don't want to offend the people of the country of Purdue, and I'm joking. I love Peru, Indiana. That was a needle at Ward. Yes, it was a good one. Appreciated. And I'm kidding. I love Peru. Smith family. Yeah. Rock Hollow. You just want to break on those greens fees. I know how you work. Yeah, So you're, but you're taking a coach that nobody knows of, in a in a Magic Johnson's program, and it's a tough deal. But it took somebody with some guts to say, "Now hang on," or "I'm hiring this guy." One and two, hang on. Let's give this guy a chance. Yeah, I think we all agree that he should have been fired a long time ago. And mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I think we all agree that you know our lives as Indiana fans would be a lot better if he was fired after year three. I totally agree yeah. with you, Dane. We'll print that as our yeah. headline when we release this podcast. Yeah, and that's the end of the Michigan State portion of our yeah, podcast. No kidding. What the hell? hysterics? <laughs> we told you at the beginning, it's a saga. Yeah.
Yeah. And that was just part one. It was just like the orcs showing up in the forest. <laughs> oh, he's going back to the references. <laughs> uh, that was just part one. But again, the guy has so much to offer in terms of his own basketball story, what he went through, his insights and opinions based on the fact that he is a high-level Division One assistant coach for a major, major program. He's got Indiana in his heart still. I mean, it, he his his fundamental basketball philosophies were were molded by two Hall of Fame coaches, two all-time great coaches. Uh, it's something that he has a very unique perspective and that we've had other players who who played under Knight, who were assistants under Knight, but to really get two different perspectives between the two coaches I think makes him absolutely unique. And it'll be interesting to see how he comes out when he's back as a head coach, where where he draws those influences in his own tenure, Absolutely. Where, wherever it might be. Well, we've got another four hours to talk to him, so we can always ask him about that. I do. Like, part two. That's a good, I like, like, hey, okay, so when you get your next head coaching gig, how much are you Izzo, how much are you Knight, and how much are you Fife? I'll ask that. Yeah, the problem is you ask that, and seven hours later, you're in the middle of that answer. <laughs> so, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Oh, what, what is it? You can follow us at Hoosier Hysterics. No vowels in hysterics. No, no. Wait, what is it? No. Uh, I went back and listened to the way you said it, and I think your original way was better than my modified way afterwards. So no E or I, but the sometimes Y. Okay, so follow us on Hoosier Hysterics. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No vowels in hysterics. No. No, no, no. Shoot. <laughs> follow us. At Hoosier, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No E or I, but the sometimes Y. Did we make it clear that's for the hysterics and not for the Hoosier? Yeah, because there isn't I and like, E. Yeah, and there's like four vowels going on there. No, no. Okay, so no vowels in hysterics, except for the sometimes Y. <laughs> what? The... It, it doesn't have the same. Let me ring. just say this, Cliff and Steve. Go to hell. Yeah. You, I mean, you screwed us. You really stuck it up our pooper. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No E or I in hysterics, but don't forget the sometimes why. Can I come in? But don't forget no. the sometimes why. Yeah, we yeah. do that okay. together. Okay. But I got to make it rhyme better. Okay. Like anyone is listening to this right now after the 17 hours with Dane part one. I bet Stephen Cliff are. Stephen Cliff are. Okay. Follow us on Twitter, at Hoosier Hysterics. In the hysterics, there's no E or I, but remember... Sometimes Y. Okay. We'll go with that. Yeah, I thought we'd do sometimes Y together. Oh, I thought you wanted to nail that. No, 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 I liked you coming in with, like, the answer. Okay. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.